Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. All right, everybody, here we are. It is the best time of the week to talk about possibly the worst territory in the entire world. I'm Gabe sitting here with Chris. Chris, what in the blue blazes is going on with the weather? Oh, my God. I know this is like the weirdest summer ever. ever. It's been like the the blazing sun with the thousand percent humidity in Kansas City has definitely made it. Um you know, like the, it's not the best weather for my business. I don't know about you, Gabe, but it's not, it's definitely not great for people wanting to hang out and enjoy wine sitting on a patio because you're <laughs> dying of heat stroke. I, I I didn't want to make this like about the weather, but it is. I've lived here seven years, and this is the most, I guess, the coolest summer I've I've ever experienced. I mean, there's been stretches of blistering heat and and bad humidity. But overall, I'm like, this is really just bizarre. There's been so much rain. I mean, we've been sopped in by these thunderstorms for the last week almost. So, it's just... well, you say that that's been a, there's so much rain now. It's been a drought, and now it's raining a lot. But like, if you go to and I just passed uh, like Truman Lake, Lake of the Ozarks this this past week. I mean, it is way down. I mean, is super it? low. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, Truman. I don't know if you go past if you go south of Clinton and go over the Truman Lake there. I mean, you can see. Uh, like underneath, you know, where the trees are popping uh-huh. out, where good, you know, you can see the uh, basically the the dirt underneath where the plants are growing now out in the sun because it's so low. Wow. So I know that's pretty low there anyway, just for a little, you know, when you're fishing out there. But uh, man, it's just it has been a wild and this is not just here. I mean, we talk you talk about the ocean temperatures and like just everything that's going on, man. I think I have a I have a cousin that lives in Phoenix. And I what is it? It's been over 100 for like 30 straight days or something or oh, yeah. 115 it's some crazy number and it's just uh it's weird everywhere um do you believe in climate change just kidding let's let's <laughs> let's debate that for three hours but yeah. no it's obviously something's weird i don't know that if you go through i could sit here and tell you it's uh climate change or i could sit here and tell you that that's what happens through the history of the world i don't know but i don't care because we talk about pro wrestling which has no bearing on any of this crap because <laughs> it's predetermined stuff that we enjoy breaking down whether uh new or old mostly old so uh yeah let's uh let look i the guest i had this week has been around 50 plus years and me and you both know him herb yeah. simmons and we'll get to that in a little while yeah absolutely so a big 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 time interview with herb simmons you guys just dis- uh, discuss a lot of topics and it is a it, it's a barn burner of an interview um you posted yesterday on our facebook page about some of the topics you cover you even cover the nwl chris Uh, It got brought up because Herb was uh, in the early stages of the NWL. He was asked to be a part of it and he declined. And I always wanted to sort of hear some of his thoughts on it. And uh, he discusses that. So I, you know, I definitely always wanted to hear uh, from, from his own lips, what he, what he thought about that situation, because, you know, 
Herb has been doing this for so long, uh, promoting wrestling that I, you know, he, he had a lot of, you know, to sort of give up more than I did or anybody else was involved in this as far as longevity. And uh, yeah, I just, I always wondered uh, because there was many reasons why I took the NWL job and, uh, and he has many reasons why he didn't. So we'll talk about that, but he also, I mean, his friendship with Brody, his friendship with Larry Matisic and like the going through the years of like having to deal with Vince McMahon taking over the area, sort of like the break, the fracture between, you know, Geigel Harley and, and then also Matisic during when, after Sam Mushnick passed away. So you know, it was, uh, or when he stopped, I should say not passed away, but when he stopped promoting, promoting so yeah. it, it, it was just, uh, and you know, I'm going to see her later this month because I go to, I'm basically making a yearly thing to go to Cauliflower Alley. And that's the time I go with my dad around Vegas. So, uh, I always enjoy that convention. We talk about that too. And, and we talk about his convention he put together in, in St. Louis, which happened this past year, which I was like, you know, I've always, con- I've always thought in the back of my mind, wouldn't it be cool to have a wrestling convention in Kansas city, you know, but it's just I'm, everyone has to fly here. No one lives here. Like, and I, I remember talking to him while he was putting that together, and I'm like, man, better you than me, because the stress involved in putting together a freaking oh convention gosh. with 50 plus people, and you have to pay for not only trans but obviously appearance fees and all this stuff. Man, it's not something that at the end of the day I probably wanted to do. But we, what we do want to do, Chris, is we're going to transition into talking about the latest news from the world of wrestling. <laughs> There's my yeah exactly uh top of the the stories that I wanted to talk about with you because of course you have a very uh well for lack of a better term intimate relationship with these people is Vince McMahon has been subpoenaed by a grand jury um in regards to his sexual misconduct allegations and uh it's it's not going away. Um, maybe perhaps the way they thought Vince McMahon recently had spinal surgery of some sort. And it is looking, I, I wouldn't say grim because Vince kicks out of everything. I don't know what, what the heck is going on, but I wanted to read to you, Chris, uh, Vince McMahon responds to grand jury subpoena via WWE, uh, internal statement. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's see here. In 2022, WWE formed a special committee to review allegations of misconduct against me. That review was concluded in November 2022. Following an extensive investigation throughout this experience, I've always denied any intentional wrongdoing and continue to do so. I am confident that the government's investigation will be resolved without any findings of wrongdoing. I am focused on completing the recovery process from my recent spinal surgery and on closing our transaction with Endeavor, which will create one of the preeminent global sports and entertainment brands. Chris, what does this all mean? <laughs> well, first of all, I think it's, it is is very ironic that both times that Vince has taken on the U.S. government in some form or fashion, he has had neck surgery. <laughs> because that's remember, right if you recall during the steroid trial he had a neck brace on and he decided to do it then and now like he has spine some kind of spinal surgery the week that he gets uh back in the week of june 17 or july 17th i guess is when he was uh handed this this subpoena uh you know this is with the sec so this is yes. obviously due to possibly misappropriation of funds this has nothing to do, I don't believe, with any kind of criminal conduct as far no. as sexual abuse or any or nope. you know something like that. So I don't know, man. Look, um, 
there's two ways to look at this. Like, Hey, if, if he did something wrong and it is a publicly funded company, then he should be in trouble. Should I, do I believe that the U S government should be involved in getting a, uh, you know, what is happening with Vince McMahon's like skank money? Uh, it's not really something I really care about. Uh, it's sort of like the steroid issue or whatever, when they all went after all the baseball players, like, what is the point of this seems like a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would feel like if, if they have a, if the internal investigation to their degree showed that he didn't do anything and the board and the, you know, the people that have his stock have not kicked him out, I don't really understand why it has to go any further at this point, but uh, you know, they obviously want to, they Vince is not one to back down from a fight. And he's also not one to sort of like, you know, sort of, you know, come on, bring it on government, you know? So I just think uh, that's where we're at. I, I don't know. This doesn't seem like it's going to go anywhere. He's already one to know against the government. This is not like the steroid trial. I don't know where this could, what, what would this ultimately lead to? Is there, is anyone said, is it, is it jail time? Is it paying back money? What is it? You know? I mean, I, I, yeah, I haven't read anything about it, but I mean, when, when blue collar crimes or would it be white collar, white collar crimes, when white collar crimes happen, sometimes the worst is like restitution payments and, or sometimes federal prison, which we all know is like a club med for rich guys. So who knows? And again, that's all speculation. I'm not saying that's exactly what's going to happen. I haven't read what the the possible role uh, or what's going to happen coming out of this. Of course, the room rumor mill is still swirling. How much control does Vince have? Is Triple H in charge? How much of of it is he? Uh, how much of it is he overseeing? All this kind of stuff. So it's kind of interesting to take a look back. Now, Chris, I wanted to ask you something. We can totally edit this if you want. In your opinion, these this payoff or hush money that Vince McMahon um, is uh, apparently owing to these women. Is this in Vince McMahon's wheelhouse? I don't know how how else to put it. Is it in his wheelhouse that he's used to doing this? Yes. I mean, it sounds like he's done this in the past. I mean, I you know before it was public. Now, see, dude, the, the great debate will always be: uh, Should Vince have ever gone public? You know, like what? Yes, he got way richer, and he it led yes. him to the, like the biggest years of his company, right? Yes. But and and that's ultimately, I, I guess I just answered the question. That's ultimately was his goal, obviously, hit being like the 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 mogul that he has become, making this deal with Endeavor, nine billion dollars. This is all like stemming from that decision when I was actually with the company to go public. Um, but you know, with that comes like so many restraints, especially with pro wrestling, with you know, whether it's um you know, the storylines you can do, you have so many other people to answer to now, you can't really keep anything private anymore. Like how much of this happened in the 70s, 80s and 90s before they went public? God only knows, right? I mean, he's had, he has had, uh, you know, it's documented how many kind of like sexual harassment type things he's been going through, whether it's internal or at the tanning salon or whatever, you know, but, uh, you know. Was, was he a fan of the ladies, Chris? Oh, I, I think that's I think that's pretty obvious. You've you've heard all I've, the story. Yeah, I I love. The I'm saying from your tell. personal experience, did you? I'm not saying did you win? I've never affairs, seen him do anything like. But uh, but I'm saying, but it was it was overtly obvious that he was a fan of the ladies, is what I'm saying. Um, yes, I mean, but I mean, he wasn't doing anything inappropriate in front right. of us. I mean, oh, he of wasn't like, hey, toots, show us your boobs. <laughs> he wasn't doing anything like that. He was just sort of like, he okay. Would, first of a, all, <laughs> you doing a Vince McMahon impression, going, hey, toots. Show me your boobs is hilarious. 
he's like an alpha male. He walks right. around with the strut all the time. He's got his arms swinging and his strut. Does going he really and, do that? Yes, he does. Really, I mean, he does it. It's more pronounced when he's walking sure. down as Mister McMahon. But the dude has a swagger about him. He is in the gym a hundred times a day, still to this day. I hear, but, but I'm talking about when he was in his fifties when I was around him. I really feel like I was around the pinnacle of his career, like his sort of life career. Yeah, uh, I would agree. Like me, Seth, and I talk about that. Like, man, we were around him when he. He was, yeah, give or take like mid fifties. And he was still, that's just when he was getting into the ring and getting all ripped and on the covers of muscle and fitness and all this stuff. And he, he was still, uh, you were pitching ideas straight to him in a meeting. He was still very hands-on in that regard. Uh, there's been since then, it has been a lot of layers between you and him if you're on the writing team or whatever. So I've been told, but um, you know, it's just like a really cool time. Like we would go, I was sing, you know, I'm single. I'm a young guy. You're working a thousand hours a week. You go into the gym and it's him working out at whatever time, like Seth and I would go in there like one in the morning, you know, cause like, who cares? That's what you do when you're 22 and you don't yeah. care. Uh, you go in there and there he is like working out. It's just weird. You know, he's just there a lot. And so I guess what my point of all this is, Yes, he has always been a big fan of the ladies. I mean, you've heard the stories of, uh, gosh, Cornette and and Jim, Jim Ross have talked about how enamored he was with Sable, which, by the way, when I first saw Sable, I was like 19. But when I saw her, I was like, you know, of course, we all love Sonny. She's the hot, hottie pinup gal. But like Sable was like a woman, you know, she was just right. like when you when she was in a room, you know, Sonny was like the cute cheerleader. Sable was like like Miss America meets like Playboy, you know, it was right. just and she was. I mean, I can, t I, I know that Vince, why both Vince's they say were just completely enamored with her and had to shoehorn her into the show because, you know, that's, <laughs> she was a beautiful woman, right. but, uh, you know, he's had this follow him for years. Um, I, th I would think that'd be, I don't think Vince is stupid enough to use company funds to pay off people. I, I right. just can't, I can't believe that that he's very like, I don't mean that this is, you can take this positively or negatively. He, I, he reminds me of much, a lot of Trump. So I think they're both like incredibly intelligent when it comes to doing stuff that won't completely burn them at some point. So I feel like ultimately this will all be all for naught, but I guess they just wanted to be sort of a thorn in the side at this point still. Yeah, absolutely. I it, the, Vince McMahon just fascinates me. I think he fascinates everybody because he's such an enigma in the world of pro wrestling. He changed the face of the game forever and ever sure. and will continue, most likely will continue to do so. And I think people always want to look at Vince McMahon behind the curtain, like what he truly is like. And I, I mean, that's so cool that you got a, a, a firsthand uh, perspective of the most influential man in the history of pro wrestling. So I agree with you. I don't think this is going to amount to much in the way of, uh, you know, him being arrested and he's going to spend a lot of time behind the bars and all that kind of stuff. I think it's just, I think it's just a formality at this point. They're going to investigate. And I think Vince is going to uh, fight his way out of this one too. So, um, yeah, all right, moving, yeah. move, moving on. Uh, SummerSlam is this weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, so just a real quick news to note from that Trish Stratus and Becky Lynch's match has been pulled from SummerSlam and apparently they're not too happy about it. Um, months long build to this matchup and it looks like they're probably going to do it next month, but they're saying they're trying to keep times really, really, really tight on, uh, this Saturday premium live event, which is weird that they've switched to Saturday. Isn't that kind of strange? 
It is, but I guess at this point it doesn't matter anymore. Um, I'm old school. I was just talking to someone yesterday about like, I, I loved appointment television. You know, I loved when I knew when stuff was on, that's why I hate, I am like such an old man. Cause I like, I guess it comes as a content creator. Like just if I can go on a tangent about television shows for a minute, like I liked it when as a content creator, I would be pissed if I worked a year and a half on a series of 12 episodes, 13 episodes, whatever. And then you Gabe, told me you watched it in a day. Okay. Because that means then you're like, when's the next one coming out? Well, I don't know. It took me a year and a half to do this. And you just consumed it in like less than 24 hours. So because like, I like how HBO does it where that, like uh, I I watch winning time or whatever. And I think the new season's coming out this week coming up and uh, like, they only show it. Hey, you know, whatever Sundays at seven, you know, and like, they don't throw the whole thing up. And so like the premium live events that, which used to be pay-per-views were always on Sunday nights. You knew when they were, but you know, again, like the new generation doesn't really consume stuff necessarily live, although sporting events are still up there. So I just think it's one of those things that, um, you know, I don't think it matters anymore. It's going to be on, uh, you know, people are going to either watch it live or they'll do what everybody else does. They watch it later. And I'm shocked they killed that match because, you know, Trish, I, if I have any more people commenting on my feeds of social media, like, gosh, Trish looks better now than she did back in the nineties, you know, like, (laughs) and then of course her and Becky, this whole thing has been like a nice nostalgia run thing here and this program. So I'm sort of shocked they did that. And I don't really know why it matters what their times are considering, uh, again, I know the live crowd has, you have to keep them in mind, but otherwise you got all the time in the world, you know, who cares? Right. Right. Now, switching gears here, there's a lot of AEW news, and we're just going to kind of gloss over just kind of things that are happening. Happening, But, of course, AEW does produce my favorite wrestling show on TV, which is Collision. I love Collision. Uh, the more I watch it, the more I enjoy it. I think it's – we talked about it before. It's produced like an old-school wrestling show. Um, they have the best matches on TV and not a lot of filler. So last Saturday night's Collision, headlined by FTR versus Adam Cole – and uh mjf which by the way their shirts are it's it's insane how much they're selling those shirts um averaged seven hundred and thirty nine thousand viewers up almost 20 percent wow from the previous week it's the highest audience total for the show since the premiere that is pretty big and the key demo was up which i hate the key demo thing but i have to say it um it was up 50 percent from last week it this is kind of crazy uh and you know you're building this is how you build and like you know it doesn't hurt that like people like jim Cornette are putting it over every week i mean as much as people hate him possibly which you know people listening to this probably don't but if you hate jim Cornette, he has swing in the the, he will he will get people to go watch something if if they enjoy what if he enjoys it the people listen to his podcast will enjoy it and that will equate to some amount of people i'm not giving him all the credit i'm just saying when you have people like him saying good things about the show Um, I just, this is the way it should be done, man. And I just think Tony, I hope he's paying attention because man, the stuff he has been doing on dynamite, where it's just throw it against the wall. Like, uh, like people just show up out of nowhere angles dropped angles pre-picked up three months later when there's nothing in between. And we're supposed to care for this match tonight. Uh, it's just the, it's just frantic and frenetic and like, no one can like really pay attention to it. This um, you know, this is actually has some fluidity, some continuity. And, um, I just think it's, I, it's, it shows like, if you want to build a show like this, uh, you can. 
Still. Okay, so so who's responsible for this? Because there is such a die. I, I I don't know how else to say it. When you watch Dynamite and when you watch Collision, they are two completely separate shows. Of course, Tony Khan's still booking, but is this the influence of CM Punk on this show? Is this the influence of perhaps Brian Danielson, who supposedly is on the creative team? A steal. Who's responsible for formatting this show? Because they deserve a freaking award. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I have no inside knowledge on exactly who is uh, coming up with formats and writing it. I just know that, yes, it has to be uh, some combination of what you just talked about. It has to be CM Punk, FTR. Um, you know, it's obviously been reported that the they have sort of tried to keep the EVPs away from collision and the people on collision away from the EVPs. So I don't know. You know, Tony ultimately is the one lone guy that gets the credit but of writer or what booker or whatever. But between then, I, I would have to assume that it's Punk, FTR, Danielson, maybe some ace thrown in there. And they're the ones that are sort of like, no, this is how we're building this, whatever. And I think I think the proof is in the pudding. I mean, you see yes. this like constantly growing and growing and growing. Uh, what did we say? We took bets last week. What? Uh, how oh, long, I, how have high written, I, I have it written down. I had 910. You said eight something, I think. I, but, yeah, um, you had 910 and I had 825. And, and, you know, we're, you're less than a hundred thousand away from right. going to you. So, and, and we still have, you know, three, four months, you know, four months, whatever left in the, uh, in the year, but uh, you know, I don't know. We'll see how it continues. Um, you're only, how, how much higher can it go? I don't know, but, uh, but it's been, it's I just impressive. Think it's cool to show that, yes. you know, if you have something that people will come back to, which I think a lot of people, our generation are used to that kind of television that people will watch it. Yeah, absolutely. And the tag team main event was really, really good. I'm super stoked. I enjoy watching Collision. I even watch it after, like most of the time post, like on a stream or something, I'll watch it because that's how much I enjoy the show. Um, some other AEW news and notes. One of them I can't wait to hear your opinion on because it's hilarious. Um, the Elite have re-signed multi-year contracts. And in the post-match promo on Wednesday, Kenny Omega before he said adieu, which his promos make me want to jump out of a window. Um, he said that, uh, you know, they'll show up here and they may show up on collision, blah, blah, blah. Adieu. Good night. Do you care <laughs> that the I, elite signed with the reason? I mean, it's important, right? And that's what I'm talking about. It's I want to know why. So the, the elite, like you're saying all of them are resigned. Yes, because uh, they were like jet. They were. I think they were. I thought. I thought I had heard Omega was up first. So Omega Bucks Page all have resigned. Okay, well for multi-year so I need, deals. I need someone to explain to me why. Why that's a good decision, right? I'm not saying they shouldn't have. Right. I'm just saying, what have they done at this point? Like, you know, this is, and I'm sorry if you're a huge EVP fan, I, this is a, what have you done for me lately business? This is how it's always been treated. It's always yes. how it's going to be treated. So, you know, yes, Cody, the EVPs, they help found this business. I get all that. I understand right. that. But like, how long do they get to play off that? How long will their, uh, their matches for the most part, definitely the bucks go downhill and I think Hangman Hangman Page at this point, their ratings go down when they're on. So how long can you sit there and justify keeping them not only just on the roster, but also an EVP still? I mean, uh, I don't know. I think you have to be basically uh, in a situation where, um, look, I, 
Tony has some kind of like blood oath with these guys. I, I don't, I don't understand. You know, he's willing to get rid of some or let some walk away and then re-sign others. Um, right. You know, the, I don't, I haven't read the last latest uh, scoop on the video game, but that definitely didn't like, uh, there was a lot of negativity about the video game, yes. even for people that love AEW. Uh, and that was a project that took millions of dollars and Omega was in charge of and blah, blah, blah merchandise sales everyone that even aw fans of mine you know friends of mine that are fans say that merchandise sucks it's the buck's wife who's in charge of it i just need to know and justify what they do right now that 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 keeps their spot i it's got to be some sort i i think con's afraid that if he gets rid of the pillars like those pillars that somehow it's going to ruin the company when in fact like by the way, going back to the ratings, and I think Punk does have a huge part in writing Collision. Every, everyone, including Eric Bischoff, who we were talking about before we went on air, has said that CM Punk will be the biggest financial disappointment in recent memory because he's not going to contribute. He's not going to... Eric Bischoff's a weirdo. I think he says a lot of this shit to get, uh, to get people to listen to his show. Anywho, um, and, and it, that's proving to be wrong because... CM Punk, whether he's part of writing Collision or not, Collision is a much better show and the ratings are starting to prove that. I mean, they're almost catching up with Dynamite ratings, okay? On a Saturday night, a much worse time slot. Anywho, sure. um, I think I think that uh, Khan's afraid that if he lost those integral pieces, then people, you know, the diehard AEW fans would be like, well, now, like, the whole company is going to collapse or whatever. Uh, well, I, they I sort know. of freaked out about Cody a little bit, but that obviously hasn't hurt them at all. No. I mean, I, I take that back. Like maybe it has hurt them a little bit, but yeah. he, he definitely has helped WWE. Um, and, out, you know, outside of barring his injuries, he's been a, a great player over there. But, um, you know, like the way I look at that is Tony had all the leverage. I don't know what they got paid. I don't know if they made the same, got They're more, big. got less. But uh, Tony, had, where are they going to go? I, I've discussed this with my friends. Where are the Bucks going to go? They're going to go back to Japan. Like Omega could go back. The Bucks yeah. are in a different situation to me. The Bucks to me don't have a lot of. I don't feel like they have a lot of choice. You know, and maybe I'm completely wrong. I don't see WWE's even if WWE signed them, they're not going to be yeah. pushed like they are no. now. No, I mean it's it wouldn't be. Anything and they know like it. That. And they know yeah. it. And, yeah. I mean, they've been having the same match for the last five years. I remember. When I, you know, I used to be a fan of the Young Bucks way back in the day. And I was like, oh, my God, I used to see him at PWG. is just so great, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, I, I really started watching. I remember telling my brother, I was like, they've had, they they just do the same match. And my brother's like, no, no, they're great. And then all of a sudden, he was like, you're totally right. They literally have the same match. But what's even more important than re-signing the Elite, Chris, the Dark Order has resigned with AEW <laughs> comments. Why comments? Why? They're a job squad, man. Like, look, hey. you got to keep people. I get, but they at some point, Tony has to let some of these thousand people go. Doesn't he? Good Lord. Like the payroll of this company. I mean, I've dealt with the payroll of a, of a wrestling company before and uh, at a larger level than just your regular indie. And the payroll that they're paying is outrageous. And I, you know, I guess when you're a billionaire son, it doesn't really matter but i'm you know at some point let some of this fall off i mean what are you worried about i mean this isn't wcw wwe 
WWF in the late nineties where you're like, we can't let him go. Cause he'll just jump over there. <laughs> right. Like, cause I don't see that happening with any of these people. There's a handful of people that could leave that company and maybe walk right on the WWE television the next day. But that is a small, small percentage. Hey, Chris, I don't think you heard me correctly. The Dark Order. Maybe you're thinking of some other jobby team. Oh. The the, the Dark Order, the guy with the mask. He's kind of yeah. big and not very good. They resigned. Super Smash AEW. Bros. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. They're complete. Like, <laughs> you know, I'll give Tony some credit. He has let some of these people go. Marco Stunts and the guy in the wheelchair. Thank God. And, you know, some of these other people. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I he can Marco let a lot Stunt. more go. Well, you know, you, hey, you have, have have we, I, I haven't got a chance to go on a rant about Marco Stunt on here yet. But you try I to book him. No. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you tried to book him and you had a story. No. Oh, I, oh God, no. I remember, so I think one of my partners did want to book Marco Stunt, and I was like, absolutely not. I hate him. Um, anyways, <laughs> before or after he took Effie's dildo to the mouth. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, the, uh, the, and finally, in AEW news and notes, um, RVD is apparently. <laughs> is going to wrestle Jack Perry and maybe um, will be um, uh, going to all in at, and again, all in just shattering records for attendance, but the main event has been announced for all in. How do you feel about this, Chris? Um, MJF versus Adam Cole for the world belt at all in. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the crowd has been into that part of the show. They have, I mean, like, uh, and whether you like Adam Cole or MJF or not, I mean, I think most people that like wrestling relatively, I think most of them like MJF and his attitude and his gimmick, but, uh, you know, the, uh, Adam Cole has been a mixed bag a little bit, but he, the, the, the crowd that loves him is definitely with AEW. So, you know, for, for a title match for him, I think that's good. I mean, they'll, they, you know, Adam Cole has some obvious uh, medical issues, concerns, and I think they've been able to sort of, um, you know, sort of keep those in the back, you know, and not really do stuff around what he can possibly do and stuff. So uh, I don't know that that I I feel like that's for them. I, I don't think that's a bad world title match. What do you think? I, I honestly, I think it's a pretty good call. And, but what I'm confused about is the whole MJF storyline. So he's obviously a, a baby face right now, but we've done this with MJF before where all of a sudden he's a baby face and he turns on his partner. I think we're looking at the same thing here. And I'm worried that if they keep flip flopping him back and forth, uh-huh. then it's not going to have as much impact when he actually does turn baby face or when he actually does return to be a heel because you know, them, them hugging and being best friends, the merch numbers for AEW are, are great for them right now and all this kind of stuff. But I don't know. I, I, I have a feeling that he's obviously going to turn on Cole either post-match or sometime before. And, and I think it's going to lose a lot of its luster if, if that were to happen pre all in, if you're going to have him turn, have him turn after the match. But besides that, I think, they they can literally throw anything they want out there. The tickets are sold. The tickets are sold. I yeah. mean, they're they're making a huge splash across the pond, so to speak. And it's it's not going to be any. I, I mean, of course, I think yes. I think Bill Goldberg will probably be there, as we've discussed before. Rob Van Dam most likely being there will be a big boost or whatever. But I mean, really, it doesn't matter in my opinion what matches they throw on there. 
I think someone had the idea. I read it online. It was a former wrestler. I forget who it was, but they said, why don't you just go ahead and not, not say one match and just make it all a surprise, which I thought would be very interesting. Maybe it was Bully Ray. Somebody put that out. And I'm like, hmm. how interesting would that be? Because like, if you have sold out basically on the fact that it's your first show over there, big show, never seen it before. We don't even care what's on the card. We just want to see a show here. And they're sold out as many Texas as they, as they have. Like, that would be great just to go in cold and like everything would be a surprise. Now, maybe you know if you're a ticket buyer you'd be like no i want to know what the hell i'm getting but at this point why does it really you've already bought your ticket so why you really don't care so uh i think it's cool that they're adding you know i'll give tony credit this uh he's adding like special you know people like that like rvd showing up over there if goldberg shows up i think that's cool but um you know i the the mjf like you talked about the going back and forth swerving and all this stuff that has been a problem with this company from day one and they change they swap too often too quickly no reason out of the blue no build up all the time so i guess like when i think about things like that i just try to sort of ignore that because that's just something that it's proven that tony is going to flip-flop people all the time he's going to have baby 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 heel heel matches all the time where you don't really know who's the baby face or heel or who you're even supposed to cheer for i know that's the cool new thing to do uh which i think is completely stupid and goes against all the backbone of pro wrestling but uh you know i look i get the whole like well you know stone cold is just sort of a level of gray he sort of acts like a heel but he's a baby face because we all want to tell our bosses to go screw off i i get that but you know at the end of the day we knew he was a baby face i mean because right. he had a great awesome heel maybe the best ever to work against and this company it's like hey this is bob and this is my friend jim and in five minutes i'm going to turn on jim and bob's a bad guy now you know and it's like no one even knows anything about half this what's going on it's just it's just all cluttered man but Yes. Is there a swerve coming up? Roderick Strong, all this stuff. Who knows? Well, now that we covered all the latest and greatest in the world of pro wrestling, Chris, let's go ahead and talk about uh, just a little bit more and set up this interview with Herb Simmons. Herb Simmons, if you do not know who he is, he runs a company called uh, SICW, Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling. It's right outside of St. Louis on the Illinois side and um, Herb Simmons has been involved in wrestling for over 50 years. Uh, I have known him personally for uh, over a decade. Um, I met him early on. He treated him and Larry Matisic actually treated me like gold when I went over to an SICW show in East Carondelet, Illinois. And uh, I got to meet Larry Matisic before he passed away. And Larry was a connection back to the days of Sam Muchnick. He started with him and you'll hear Herb talk about that, how him and Larry were friends. And they both started around with Sam, who was, you know, king of the castle in the NWA for many years when they were just teenagers and uh, they continued out, you know, through the years, uh, helping him where Larry basically took over the St. Louis area for a while, had a lot of, uh, you know, speed bumps in the way as far as, you know, Vince McMahon and buying time slots like he did with every other uh, promotion in America. But um, but Herb has been a promoter for many, many decades and decades and decades, which. If you've never promoted a professional wrestling show, you'll know that uh, I like, what would you say, Gabe? It's like dog years. Like one year of promoting wrestling is somewhere. It feels like About five 15 10 years of your life. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, and, it's, it'll age you horribly. I can't believe he's done it as long as he has. And so like, I have to give people credit for doing it as long as he has, just because the stress, 
the grind, the just monotony of it after a while would be a little much, but Herb has done it for a very long time. And um, like I said, he, he had a big fan convention. We talked about, we talked about the, you know, I'm always interested in his, you know, people's takes from St. Louis about the Kansas city office back in the day with Geigel and Harley and Pat O'Connor and what it meant to have Rufus and Bulldog Bob Brown and, and, you know, Geigel had negative things to say about Bruiser Brody. And we talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, the, just the St. Louis perspective of the Kansas City territory, which, you know, and a lot of St. Louis people think Kansas City was like the little minor leagues compared to St. Louis uh, in the central states area. So he talks a lot about that and then talks about his affiliation now at the Cauliflower Alley Club, which, if you don't know, is a yearly fan convention out now in Las Vegas, taking place in late August uh, in Cauliflower Alley has their own website. You can check it out online and you can become a member. You can go out there and join. I, I find it to be sort of a fun convention because a it's in Vegas and I enjoy going out there anyway, but when I'm out there um, it's, it's not like a fan fest, like you'd get at WWE or anywhere else. People are older. They're, they're sort of more into the old school stuff. Um, you know, there might be like some 50 year old dudes, uh, you know, with autograph books, chasing people around the, the casinos, but it's, <laughs> uh, it's definitely sort of a more of an old school, uh, festival. And that's what I enjoy, but Herb Simmons, 50 plus years in the business. All right, let's get to that interview right now on the worst territory in the world. It's the worst territory. Joined now by a man that I met about, man, I, Herb, I think I met you, I think I came to an SICW show. It had to have been about 2010, 11, right around there. And that's the first time I got to meet you in St. Louis. Herb Simmons, longtime promoter from the St. Louis area in East Carondelet, Illinois, is where I met you for SICW. Herb, thanks for joining me. Oh, I appreciate the, the invite being on here. And uh, I like to just, uh, you know, yeah, Chris, it was about that uh, time when we first met. And I remember uh, when Larry Matasek uh, started talking about this uh young man having this promotion uh, uh out in your area and uh we were watching what you were doing and you know it was actually a breath of fresh air to uh to know that there was somebody out there that was trying to do it the right way yeah it's interesting you say that because um there are some similarities from what i like to do as a promoter and i've seen you do as as, as long as i've known sicw which is and one of the things was that when I got into it, so coming from the WWF and then coming into the indie wrestling world or, you know, whatever term, I know that's sort of a negative term sometimes, the, the professional wrestling world of, of our area here, uh, I had the mindset, of definitely the Vince McMahon mindset of like, I enjoy the big guys in the main event size-wise, you know, like I enjoy the, so when I started Metro Pro, I had the Trevor Murdochs, the, the Derek Stones, the Bull Schmitz, the... You know, the, man, I had I had four to six, like, big dudes. And when I say that, you know, we're talking, you know, 230 to 300, somewhere in there. And you always have your main events with the big guys. And I, and I like that philosophy because that is, at this point, a very throwback philosophy. Well, and it's, uh, I think that's if you go back and look at the history of our business, uh, that was uh, – that was it. It's where the big boys always uh, came to uh, show that they were the big boys. And, you know, back in the day uh, uh, when I was using the Bruiser Brodies or the Dick Murdochs or the uh, Jerry Blackwells, you know, they didn't come much bigger than those guys in size and in uh, uh, notoriety. And, uh, you know, that's what people, I think, were really, even though they come to see the whole card, it was that main event. It was your, your ticket seller. 
Yeah, definitely. And it's just, you know, and, and to see the, the main event is, and, you know, there's main events everywhere now that have smaller guys. And, and as time has gone on, I have my own theories. Why do you think the big guys aren't in wrestling as much anymore? Well, I think, uh, you know, there's not a lot of them out there doing it anymore. Uh, of course, you know, I'm the old school, as you, you said, uh, and it seems like the younger generation now are the smaller individuals that, uh, and nothing against them. They can get out there and, and give it their all. And, uh, you know, some things that I see uh, when I'm scouting around or, uh, or rolling through the uh, the uh, social media, when I see the mismatch of these guys, you know, you got somebody in there is at 280, 300 pounds, and they're in there against somebody who weighs a buck and a quarter. Um, I, I kind of cringe at that kind of stuff. But, you know, to answer your question, I just don't think there's uh, that much talent out there anymore that's uh, wanting to venture into the uh the business uh that's got any size to them whatsoever i'm still fortunate uh, that i've got some of the big guys my champion now the uh, big texan uh you know as a big guy and of course you know through the course of it guys like ron powers and people like that uh and again not taking away from any of the guys you know the pete maddens of the world and uh you know you name it uh they could go out there and go and fight but uh there's just not a lot of the big guys uh that's wanting to get into it you know no, and my, my theory was that a lot of them got into MMA and a lot of them got into, you know, other professional sports that just pay better at this point, you know, or something. And it's just, it just is weird. You're just a void of, of the big guys. But like I said, I've always, I've always liked the fact that you've always had bigger dudes on your roster because it is sort of an anomaly these days. It just doesn't happen. Um, but before we get more into SICW, I wanted to go back to your beginnings. I've heard you talk about, uh, you know, your 50 plus years in pro wrestling now. And I know that you got hooked up with Sam Muchnick early on. But what, what was your exact start? Like, how did you get into it? What's your story of meeting Mr. Muchnick or, or getting into wrestling? Well, I actually, uh, you know, my first uh, show was in 1973, but I, I grew up probably just the same as you did and any other person that's out there that's in the business now, whether it be a worker or promoter or announcer or whatever, we got into it as a fan. And, uh, you know, when I grew up at a uh, early age, I just turned 70 years old uh, this month. And when I grew up, uh, you know, uh, wrestling at the chase, uh, we got the wrestling out of Chicago uh, that would come in on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, but wrestling at the chase, um, I was always uh, uh, attracted to that because my uh, I used to remember my grandparent, uh, my grandmother and my mom and then would talk about the days of the gorgeous George and, you know, uh, the uh uh, the Royal kangaroos and people like that. Mm -hmm. And I always got attracted to those type of characters. And of course, then as I got older, you know, I started to really watching it uh, when it used to come on television on a Wednesday night, which a lot of people didn't don't remember that. Uh, everybody thought, Oh, it was a Saturday and a Sunday. Well, no, before that it was on, on Wednesday nights out of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And uh, then on Saturday, like I said, we'd get it out of Chicago wrestling when Moose Sherlock was really uh, making his, uh, uh, start up there with his big moose head on when he'd come out and, uh, you know, the Valiant brothers and, and, and people like that. But, you know, uh, Larry Matasek was, uh, my, uh, dear friend and I, I miss him every day and I owe so much to him and Sam because later on, they're the ones that introduced me to the guys, uh, in the business. Uh, you know, I, I had the Royal Kangaroos, Al Costello and, uh, working for me, uh, on independent shows. And, I know that word independent, I, I don't like to use, but again, and the reason why I've had that is I've said, 
you know, when you go get a license in the states that do uh, license our boys and uh, ladies, it doesn't say independent wrestler; it says professional wrestler. And I think that's what they all should be. Is uh, but independent is just that word that uh, you know you may be an independent wrestler, but you're 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 a professional wrestler if you're out there taking those bumps. And uh, but uh, but you know you know then I got to meet the guys like the Bruiser Brodies and uh, the Dick Murdochs and O'Connor and. Uh, Bob Geigel when, you know, he was running the uh, Kansas City Operation Harley Race. Uh, but, yeah, just a fan uh, and just happened to be a young man at the right place at the right time and got to meet the right people. So this podcast, you know, it talks about we start in Kansas City, but it goes Midwest. And, of course, St. Louis, in a lot of ways, is sort of part of Central States territory, but they're, they're their own island as well, really. You know, if you really look into the breakdown of it, as you know, but people might not know, it was, you know, basically Sam Muchnick in St. Louis at the time as the head honcho, and in Kansas City, it was sort of a three-way split with O'Connor, Bob Geigel, and Harley Race. Now, uh, what did when you got into it or when you were around Sam and Larry, what, what were their thoughts initially of, of the split here? Were, were they like your small brother in Kansas City? Because I think a lot of people look at St. Louis at the end NWA level is like they're one of the you know obviously one of the tippy top territories in the NWA and Kansas City even though the people that live here they were their heroes and they loved them just as much as any other territory it was looked at to by a lot of people as you know somewhat of a uh, you know a seasoning territory more than just the main eventers so what, what did you think of the uh, the relationship between the two cities? Well, you know, I, I always liked the uh, the relationship between them. You know, Kansas City had got over the years back back in the day it had got labeled as the basically the minor league, which I never did agree with because you know there was some great talent in the Kansas City area. You know, the Roger Kirby's, the Mike Georges, Bulldog Bob Brown, uh, and as you know from the years that you uh, have been involved in the business, you know it takes those type of good enhancement workers, as we call them nowadays. Uh, to, to go out there and make your stars. And, uh, yeah, uh, but you know, Bob Geigel and, um, uh, I mean, I remember watching him when he used to come to St. Louis and, uh, um, he was one of the guys my mom didn't like. She used to call him the hairy ape, <laughs> you know, cause and he no hair so on much, his head, but hair all over his no, back, all over his back. And, uh, but, uh, but yeah, they got labeled early on as the minor league, but you know, but Pat O'Connor, you know, a very underrated individual, uh, that uh, uh, I think didn't get the dues that he probably should have got over the years. But, you know, a lot of people and a lot of fans didn't realize that St. Louis, uh, then when they talked about territory, that St. Louis was just Sam's territory. He didn't do a lot of traveling. Yeah. Uh, you know, San, St. Louis was him, even though he was president of the NWA off and on for over 41 years, he called the shots from basically right here in St. Louis, and uh, he took care of his home turf. And, um, uh, and you know, what I, what I learned from Sam was, um, it's like a pie, you know, you, you cut that pie up and, uh, everybody got a share of it. And if there was something left over, you divided the share up also of what was left over. And, and I think that's what a lot of people, uh, learned, uh, learned about Sam was he was fair and honest 
And uh, nowadays, uh, there's there will never be another Sam Muchnick, I can tell you. Oh, definitely. I mean, the the payoffs. He's a good payoff guy. He was known for that. He wasn't. A lot of promoters did not have that kind of uh, stigma attached to them that they paid off well. Um, and including that, you know, some would say that about Kansas City, but Kansas City just didn't have the didn't have the metro area at the time necessarily, and definitely not the uh, the circuit around here. It was you know it was a, it was a tough circuit. It was a long drives, empty prairie land and uh not exactly the most uh you know obviously half the year was not the best weather so I, yeah and, and that was a good and and what benefited the the kansas city area was is that they would tie those shows in together because you know you would see the bruiser brodies out there you'd see uh the missing links and uh, uh people like that who would perform there in in the kansas city area because they would tie those dates in and so the fans were, were getting to see it. Um, I remember when uh, Sam retired uh, in the 80s, uh, and, uh, you know, there was major talks going on that, you know, who was going to be the person to take over. And, of course, uh, there was a few of us who was hoping it was going to be Larry. And, uh, and of course, uh, we all know that didn't happen. And, uh, and then Larry tried working with Bob and uh, Pat and them guys, and, and of course, I think the straw that broke the camel's back then was when they said, well, uh, we're going to come in St. Louis and we're going to do it the way we do it in Kansas City. Well, I remember Larry having the statistics there showing what they were drawing in Kansas City as opposed to what St. Louis was drawing uh, on any given show. Um, you know, Key Auditorium on a sellout 12,800 people as opposed to what Kansas City would be drawing. Uh, well, so Memorial I think that, Hall was 3,500 max, you know, basically. Yes. Yeah. And, and so I think that kind of rocked the apple cart there. And, uh, and of course it, and of course, you know, we all know what happened when, when, uh, Larry started his, uh, promotion and, uh, and of course the TV got rights got bought out from underneath him. And uh, that's kind of what, uh, sunk that boat. Um, yeah. it's, uh, you know, history, uh, uh, I, if you could go back and uh, if Sam could probably go back, if Sam was could think it all over again, I think that there's been a different decision made um, because I think that because uh, at that time you had Bob Brown that had gotten Bob with the Kansas City organization and Pat was still there and, and of course, Harley and, and uh, Geigel and uh, they just could never get the, uh, the steam built up that St. Louis had. They tried. I got to give them credit, but it just it wasn't going to be the same. So do you think that was Sam's like strong armed into going more that direction instead of Larry or like, did he just not think Larry was had the backing so much financially or just with the peers or what was the reason for that? You think? Yeah, I think there was a combination of things. I think, you know, Larry started with Sam when he was 16 years old and, uh, and didn't have basically any other, uh, job full-time job. Uh, I mean, he was with Sam, like I said, he didn't even have a driver's license when he first, uh, his dad would drive us over to the, uh, uh, office. And, uh, um, so it was, um, but I think that Sam was uh, kind of afraid that he wanted the business to, uh, to flourish still. Um, and I think he, he's thinking about, well, here's this young man that, uh, he's sure he's been around a lot and He's got the knowledge. He can do the play-by-play. He can do everything that needs to be done. He was at that point. He was doing some of the uh, uh, booking uh, with Pat because Pat was to help him do the booking there in St. Louis. Um, of course, they would go at odds, and 
you know, I tell the story all the time. If it wasn't for Larry, Ric Flair never would have came to St. Louis because uh, when uh, Larry got tapes of Rick, uh, he brought Pat into the control room and uh, tried to show him. And Pat says, oh, he's too small. He'll never draw a dime. And thank goodness Larry uh, was smart enough to call Sam and say, hey, when you get a minute, can you come into the studio? Come down to the studio. He said, I want to show you some tapes. And about an hour later, Sam showed up and it only took him about five minutes of watching Flair's tape from Crockett's. And he told Larry, he said, get Crockett on the phone and tell him I want him in here. And <laughs> and, and that's how Flair got to St. Louis. And he obviously so, had a storied history there. Yeah. Yo, yeah. Yeah. That's well, he's, he's, he's still out there trying to make history, you know? Oh yeah. He, he's, he's still out there. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something being made. I don't know if it's history or not, but. <laughs> Um, the, you brought up Bruiser Brody and of course, uh, I, for years, I know that you've, uh, you were friends with him. You're still friends with Barbara, his, his widow. Uh, she comes to Cauliflower Alley all the time. She comes to St. Louis. Um, you know, it's interesting because a lot of my friends that are from Kansas city, uh, a lot of them love the guys that were in, uh, Japan, like Bruiser Brody, Abdullah, the butcher, like these are guys sort of the, in more than what I consider independent contractors, more than the regular independent contractors, the guys that aren't hampered by a contract, whether they wanted it or not. And Brody, uh, of course, there's there's tapes out there, Brody in Kansas City facing uh, whoever over here. And, um, you know, I always remember when I did the documentary on the Kansas City wrestling, um, I remember, you know, because he's such a force, Bruiser Brody, and I asked Geigel about him. And Geigel, he didn't have the most favorable things to say, but that seemed to be the, uh, you know, s- some perspective of some of the promoters that uh, I think uh, had hard times negotiating with him in some ways. And so they did, you know, it's a business perspective. I, I took it more than anything from Geigel. Um, is that is that sort of the way it was framed? In your, did you know anything about that relationship in Kansas City? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I knew that there was a love-hate relationship there and, um in fact, not only with Bob, but with Harley, Harley and uh, Frank uh, didn't didn't see eye eye a lot of times either. And it was all over basically the business. Uh, you know, uh, they couldn't control a guy like Frank. And um, I remember um, uh, spot shows that they were trying to do uh, later on that they uh, they had uh, booked a show in at the Arnold High School in Arnold, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And uh they uh, had advertised Bruiser Brody uh, going to be there against at that time uh, Dewey Roberts in the missing link, and of course I had I was using Brody uh, on a regular basis at that time, and uh, and we were at a show about a month out, and they'd already started advertising him, and uh, we were at a show one night sitting around after it, and I said, oh, I see you're going to be at the uh, Fox High School, you know, and he said, where where the heck's that at? And I told him, he said not unless you're booking it. And I said, well, no, I'm not booking it. And I said, that's a, it's Geigel and those guys. He says, Oh, that's the one they call me about. He says, I'm in Japan. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not there. <laughs> and so, you know, every week they're advertising this big match and everything. And, uh, and he said, Hey, do me a favor. He said, kind of get the word out to the circuit and the fans that, you know, that, uh, I'm not going to be there. And so we did that. And, uh, I ended up going to the show and sitting there and man, it was packed. And, uh, I'll, I'll never forget. I'm sitting in the stands and, uh, a lot of our fans that came to our shows were sitting around here because they want to come and see a big match like that. And, uh, uh, and I'm sitting there saying, that's ah, a shame. Frank's not, Brody's not going to be here tonight. You know, and they're what, what? I said, no, he's in Japan. Oh no, they've been advertising. <laughs> well, at the beginning they come out and they do one match, of course. And then Terry Garvin, the ring announcer gets up in the ring and says, we have an announcement to make, uh, due to, uh, uh, flight, uh, issues, 
uh, Bruiser Brody will not be here tonight, uh, oh. but for your entertainment, we are going to throw a battle royal together. And man, I thought the place was going to riot. And of course, I'm <laughs> sitting here with my arms crossed, just hey, I tried telling you, you know. But yeah, it was a love hate. But you know, Frank had that problem uh, with the Dick the Bruiser. I mean, I of course I, I had trouble with Dick when I first started running, and uh, uh, but we ended up patching things up over the years. Now, what was that patched. over? Just uh, philosophy or booking people? Uh, no, or who? Ter- ter- territory. Uh, okay. uh, he used to run that Southern Illinois all the way uh, down from Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, he ran all of Southern Illinois, the towns like El Dorado, Albion, uh, Fairfield, and. Uh, up to the uh, Evansville border. And of course, then when I started running the Southern Illinois Championship Wrestling, um, yeah, I was getting calls from different organizations because that's for all these years, you know, 95% of our, our business has been working with nonprofit organizations helping them raise funds. And so I was getting calls from the local Lions Clubs or the JCs. And, and at that time, I had, like I said, I had the Val and Greg Valentine, you know, people like that. And uh, mm-hmm. they were bringing uh, people in, uh, you know, horse Bob Orton, who is still with me today, running my training academy. Uh, so, I mean, I had the, the star power. And, of course, you know, Dick at that time, uh, uh, his son-in-law, uh, Spike Huber, uh, was pretty hot on TV. And mm-hmm. so we wanted to use him. And so I... Uh, I'd made the contact. Larry had actually got me in touch with the bruiser and, um, yeah, I tried to get him on the phone. You know, he, he talked about, I gotta go. I'll call you back. Well, you know, so I ended up my booker and I, at that time, uh, ended up drives up to Indianapolis, up to the armory where he had a show one night. And, uh, you know, we were standing around like kids at a candy shop, you know how that is. And, uh, I'm thinking, here's a guy I grew up watching, you know, and now I'm going to be here meeting him and it's the night of a show and he's got a packed house. And, um, but we kept standing there and standing there and we stood outside probably for a half hour outside the locker room door. And I told my booker, I said, look, I ain't no kid at a candy shop. So we turn around, start to walk up and we get up to the front doors of the gymnasium at the armory. And, uh, there's two, some big Samoan guys standing there and they said, Hey, uh, bruiser wants to see you. And I said, okay, come on, follow us. And one was in front of us, one was back of us. And of course, at that time, you know, you, you heard all the stories about the business, you know, sure. uh, how you don't, you don't go into other people's territories. If you do, you may end up, uh, getting uh, a broken leg or a broken arm or something. And, and so of course my uh, booker at that time was a, um, Illinois state trooper, uh, and, uh, and I was in law enforcement also, so we were prepared for the worst case scenario, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but we get back down there and we go in this little room off to the side of the locker room and he's in there raising hell about something. He's kicking the tables over and, and I think he was trying to more or less intimidate us than anything. And mm-hmm. he's walking in and he said, ah, Simmons, sorry, sorry. You know, he said, uh, uh, so I understand you want to do business in Illinois. And I said, well, I am doing business in Illinois. Not that I want to, I am doing business. And well, we need to work together. And he says, I'll tell you what, he says, this is, I don't have a problem with it. He said, we'll do a 90, 10. And, uh, he says, uh, well, you, you book it and we'll, we'll do it. And I said, well, Dick, that's my generous of you, but I don't, I don't need 90%. I mean, I'm willing to work and he, oh, you don't understand. I said, no, you don't understand. Uh, you're right. I'm going to do all the booking. And, uh, and like I said, at that time I got Brody and all of the people he was bringing to me, Abby and, uh, so we, we, we didn't see eye to eye for a long, long time. And I think, uh, finally after spike ended up 
divorcing his uh, daughter, uh, he became a free agent and then uh, he tried blackballing Spike in the business. And uh, we were the only ones that was working Spike on a regular basis, him and Steve Regal and Rooster Griffin and people like that and Calypso Jim. And, but uh, it's kind of ironic now because just uh, last year I ended up uh, acquiring uh, the Bruiser's uh, TV library from his wife before she passed away. I've heard you say that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's not, there's not a lot of libraries still out there. No, it's, you know, I've got that and the, uh, the St. Louis stuff, uh, that I've got and, uh, that I use that I've got from Larry. And, uh, of course I've got all of the results. Um, uh, I've got one of the two complete sets of the programs that they used to send out. Uh, Jim Carnett's got one and I've got the other one from, uh, from, uh, Larry, uh, you know, auto and they're, they're, you know, they're brand new basically and, and hardbound books and, uh, and we get them out from time to time and look at them and go back. Uh, and, of course, I got some of the older ones dating back to 1934 is my oldest one. And, wow. Uh, so, uh, but it, and then I got every result. So anybody who's ever uh, wrestled at the Keel or on Chase or at the Checker Dome, um, if you, know, you want to know how many matches the Bruiser had, who he fought, who won, what was the time limit, what was the uh, uh, total gate account. Uh, and they kept them on three by five index cards and, uh, they, you know, they used a typewriter to type them on there. And then on the TV shows on the back of the cards, it actually say what the, um, color commentators, uh, suit jacket looked like, uh, hmm. you know, uh, on such and such a day, uh, Joe Gary Jola wore this or, you know, uh, Larry Matasek had on his plaid, uh, green Pretty jacket, detailed. You know. <laughs> Yeah, they they was they you know and on these little three by five index cards like Grandma used to keep her uh, recipes mm-hmm, on you know, mm-hmm. so it's pretty cool to have that kind of stuff and uh, you know I get time, calls from different guys that are still with us that hey do you have a record when I was in St Louis I was there between you know sixty uh, two and sixty five and I need to I'm, I'm trying to write a book or somebody needs some information and. And there's nobody else got that information out there, but all of this stuff that I've got. Isn't that, isn't that, I've reached a point in, in life almost where uh, the stuff that I find really cool, stuff like that, there's such a small audience of, of people that like, would care about that now. As you get older, you know, every day there's less people that care about it because I see, yeah. and it's sad because it's just the passing of time and that's how it works, you know. And I've, I have a lot of like memorabilia, like that kind of stuff. And like, you know, I look around, I'm like, you know, I got this like when, you know, I got this like 30 years ago. <laughs> so, so well, anyone that's, they don't even know what this is, a 30 year old guy doesn't yeah. even know what this is. Yeah. Well, and that's what I tell, I tell everybody. My wife's going to probably have the biggest bonfire ever when I decide to leave Isn't the that screen sad? Or when that's the girl, how, yeah. That's how it's going to be. And, yeah. And believe me, I got people that are standing in line and you better not, you better <laughs> tell her. You know, and I go up to, I just, it was, uh, up at Waterloo, Iowa, for the uh, Tragus Thez uh, Museum sure. Hall of Fame every year, we go up there, and you know, and the fans that show up up there, and uh, it's just there still are a lot of great wrestling fans out there, and um, of course, every promotion says they got the greatest fans in the world, and but, but I believe I do have because uh, uh, generation. I mean, I've got people who still come to my shows today that their parents forty years ago 
uh, and some of them, they were holding these, these kids on their laps when they come, you know? And, uh, so I think that's kind of cool about that. And of course, trying to keep the old school alive. And then that's why on our little TV show, we do every Sunday night, we mix the old with the new, mm-hmm. uh, to try to, to keep people informed of, you know, like tonight, you may see, uh, two of the local guys, uh, go at it. And in the next match, you'll see, uh, um, uh, David Von Erich, um, uh, against the Harley race. And, uh, and I get more compliments out of that than anything because it takes them back in time and, or they may have heard grandma and grandpa or mom and dad talk about that match, you know, and, and now we're getting to see it, you know? So it's, it's, as you know, you've been in the TV part of it and, uh, and in the business, it's, it's all about what you, what you can give them and, and keep them hooked. Oh yeah, no. So I have several things to ask about this. First of all, when was it? When did it sort of die out? So when I first started Metro Pro, it was two thousand nine. We were talking about it, and I'm 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 making this, and then you know I'm not really understanding uh, that there was even a sniff of quote unquote territorial boundaries at that point. You know, <laughs> so I started hearing some people saying like, oh. Harley race going to want to probably kick your ass if you're in his area. You know, I'm just like, seriously, like, I'm not even thinking about this. You know, I'm thinking we're like here doing a show. And, um, you know, I talked with Harley and he was cool with it. And at that point, obviously Harley was not worried about me at that point, but, uh, I, I just, when did that die off completely to where it was like, you know, cause obviously every town now has, it seems like, uh, an endless supply of some level of, professional wrestling uh some as loosely uses that term but uh when did that sort of stop well you know the the the, the territory is the way the way i knew it back in the day i mean it was it was that way pretty well up until the early 80s okay uh, of course you know sam retired in 83 and um of course he was planning a couple of years prior to that trying to get his exit strategy in place and uh and like I said, there was a lot of discussions going on there. And, and you know, Sam was the guy that uh, was the peacekeeper from all those promotions. I mean, uh, whether it be with the Paul Boshes and, uh, you know, or uh, uh, people all over the Crockett, you know. Well, let me uh, ask you this. I'm not even talking about when Vince took over. I'm talking about mm-hmm. at a level that a, you know, an SICW Metro Pro, that kind of level. Like when, like, was there ever a time during when they, you were running – you know, your current show in the last 20 years where someone was like, Hey, why are you, why are you running our town? Have you, have, did no. that, nothing. Okay. I, I, no, I, I've never, no, like I said, because normally I, I, I you know, when, uh, Tony Costa, my good friend from South Broadway athletic club, and when him and I was running three, four nights a week, everything from the boot hills of Missouri, we would run all the way up to the Indiana border. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we never had any, like I said, my only issue I ever had with anybody was, uh, the bruiser and, uh, that lasted for a short time. And, sure. uh, cause he realized I wasn't going to go away. <laughs> and he realized at that time that, that I had the star power, uh, back in me and, um, you know, um, you know, bruiser, uh, uh, bruiser Brody's the one that knocked him, uh, over the, uh, bench in the, uh, high school gymnasium locker room in Peoria, Illinois. <laughs> Uh, and so I wasn't worried. Um, so yeah, I, I think they realized that, that when you had those guys, uh, on your side, um, uh, he got mad at me. He was running in Springfield, Illinois at the Lamphere high school. And then I started running there and he had TV in there and uh, I started buying commercials for our show. I didn't do it. The TV put my, uh, commercials in the body of his show. Sure. And he called me and screamed and hollered about that. And I said, Dick, that, you know, I, I don't, 
I didn't tell him where to put it, but it made sense. I'm doing a wrestling show. You got a wrestling show and we're not running on the same nights, you know, uh, but, uh, and he come to understand that I wasn't going to just blow up and go away. Cause as you know, there's guys that come and go in this business oh, every yeah. day. Oh yeah. And, um, and, and I'm just one of the fortunate ones that's been around long enough to do it. And I think it's because of the relationships that I have, uh, created over the years by meeting good people, you know, such as yourself and seeing you at cauliflower alley and places like that. And, and knowing where you come from, I think that's the thing, the ego. I tell everybody the worst thing that's going on in our business is people have big egos. And if they forget about their ego, uh, you should be able to get along. You know, I work with anybody. I mean, it, it, it wants to work with me. And um, and I think that that's why I pretty well stay in my own lane. Um, you know, I work with uh, Jason Jones uh, from Championship Wrestling. I was worked with Burt Prentice at the uh, USA Championship Wrestling gave his eulogy at his funeral. Uh, Troy Peterson up at Impact. I mean, I work with anybody, but uh, uh, that wants to work. But you know, some of these promotions out there now, they're they're either jealous or uh, intimidated by what I do, and it's not that. I mean, I bring in the legends, and I I do that because I tell everybody we're only building on the foundation that these guys built. You know. And, yeah, uh, one thing that I that I that's another thing that I liked how you use stuff because that's how I used them in uh, Metro Pro. Uh, you know, a lot of people use legends differently at this level. Um, you know, they I always liked I always thought it made no sense to bring in a, a a legend to face another legend. That's that's ludicrous. But then you would bring in a legend to you know just dominate one of your normal guys, which I didn't make sense to me either. And, nope. but you were, uh, you were one of the guys that enjoyed the, uh, the legend level of the guys that I liked. I mean, I would, I, my, my rule was when I first started doing Metro is I wanted to bring in legends that could still work. Even, even if it was just very, you know, elementary stuff, it didn't matter if they were willing to go into the ring and, you know, not even have to take a bump, but just, you know, people will bump for them. It doesn't matter. I wanted that. And of course, as the years have gone on and the people that I, you know, I idolize as a child, they're, they're not really, most of them cannot really do it in the ring anymore. And so, yeah. um, that's changed, but like you've always used legends in the same, pretty much the same way. Uh, a lot of people don't look at legends the same way that probably you and I do. Uh, I find them to be like fascinating and, uh, I was talking with Gabe on one of the shows before, and it's just like I really enjoy, you know, legends are built when you're a child and they sort of stay with you your entire life. And, um, you know, everyone that sees uh, when I brought in Demolition or Jim Cornette or these guys into Metro Pro was like, you know, uh, most of them are like 50-year-old dudes that grew up and enjoyed them then and they're still cheering for them now. And I just think that's something a lot of people don't use. Well, and I tell you, I did this a few months ago. I had uh, Tony Atlas and Bob Orton on a card at the Shrine in East St. Louis and uh and it was a spare of the moment thing I come up with and uh you know they ended up uh, winning the SICW tag team titles uh <laughs> and the place erupted uh now you know you've said a while ago you know them coming in and running rough shot over your local town as well but if you're if you're in the storyline business which that's what we do at SICW it's uh, you know we we tell that story each week on television and it's amazing how people follow it. You know, I'll stand at the door at the end of a house show and they'll say, you know, just about the time we thought we had this figured out, you pull a rabbit out of your hat, you mm -hmm. know. And then, of course, here uh, uh, last month, uh, they were going to uh, defend the titles back to the same uh, group, the L.A. Hustlers and Tony's uh, flights. Uh, got three flights got canceled in the same day. So, uh, of course, uh, Bob Morton's there and we substitute uh, Tony with uh 
uh, Flash Flanagan, one of the top guys in the business, uh, should have been in WWE and mm-hmm. uh, making a millions like a bunch of them because he's a great talent. But we substituted him for Tony, and uh, of course they, they they lose it. But again, um, I'm not ashamed of doing that. You know, when I, I I've got uh, Tito Santana coming in August the 12th, and he's been in before for me, and he's he's put a sleeper hold on uh, one of my uh, heels. You know, and and like you said, uh, for this last Friday night, Bob Orton threw somebody in a swimming pool uh, over the private show that we did. Nice. Uh, so you got to know how to got how to work them and. Um, um, and you know, I've got, uh, Jake Roberts coming in later this year, uh, with Hacksaw, Jim Duggan and Jimmy Hart and Bret Hart's coming in. And so, uh, and those guys all, uh, will come in and, and sure they're coming in to sign autographs and meet the fans, but they, they, uh, they, they know how I like to do things and I like to send fans home happy. But I was still, but you know, the reason why I brought those guys in is because like the first time I, the first time I saw an indie show, uh, I was in college at going to the University of Missouri and there was a, there was a show, man, I, I can't remember. I think it was a, it was a show running in mid Missouri somewhere. I can't remember if it was Moberly or Mexico, somewhere around there. Anyway, it was, um, Jimmy Snuka was on the card. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know. I don't know any of the the federations running at that point in Missouri. I had no idea any of these. This was a whole new world to me, and right. uh, so I went because of Jimmy Snuka. So my whole thing is, you you know, obviously I think it's pretty it's pretty simple. I don't think it's that brainiac thoughts here, but like if you put a guy on there like that, people will come watch him, and then hopefully get him hooked with your young young talent that's going to be there forever, and they'll come back. I mean, that's just pretty simple. And uh, it doesn't, I don't know, a lot of people don't use that philosophy, which as I, as I get older, less and less do even now. So um, that was always something I, I believed in. Well, and you know, the other thing, Chris, is I tell the guys in the locker room that, you know, shame on you if you don't take this to your advantage. When I bring in somebody like a Ricky Steamboat or a Kevin Sullivan or whoever it may be, and you have the opportunity to sit there and pick your brain, if you don't, shame on, shame on you. Uh, because, you know, we have a monitor in the back to where they can watch it. And, um, and these guys will come back in and a guy like Jim Carnett, when they walk back through that curtain, he'll say, come here, come here, let me show you. Mm -hmm. Why did, why did you do this? Why didn't you do that? Uh, the night I had Ricky uh, Steamboat in at a show, um, usually, you know, how everybody is, they're wanting to get out, get their pay and get home. I walked back in the dressing room and it was at a local firehouse and all the guys are sitting around, uh, Ricky is sitting in the middle of the floor in a chair and they're all around him, circling him. And they're all got notepads out. They're all taking notes. I'm thinking, now this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> These are guys that are serious about this business to, to try to even uh, hone their crafts even better. And what better way to get a guy from a guy like Ricky Steamboat. And that's because he uh, had him in as a special guest referee that night. And uh, I'll never forget. I was sitting there at the ringside uh, at the ring table, timekeeper's table. And when he went to climb up the rope to come off with that, cross body that he does he steps out on the ring apron and he bent down and he says i haven't done this in many years and i'm doing it for you herb <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and and so that's what that's a class thing that i remember that kind of stuff and uh you know i love calling and talking to guys like that that i built those reputations with and that's why i tell the workers take advantage when i bring them in i had one wrestler one time say you know you could pay me more money if you wouldn't pay them old timers that stuff and i said you know realistically you should be paying me to give you the education you're going to get tonight to have this guy sitting here. <laughs> uh, I, I agree with that. I understand that thought. Yeah. So, but, uh, 
it's 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 great i think and as long as the they're out there. I mean, I just, you know, up in what water I with Baron Von Roschke, and I, I actually took Jimmy Valiant, the Woogie Woogie Man, and Haku up there for that mm-hmm. uh, for my friend at the uh, Troy Peterson to help him out because they all come down to my fan fest I had in May, and uh, sure, which turned out great. You know, yeah, I want to uh, I want to talk about that. So before I get to your convention, I I do have uh-huh. to say that yeah, for promoting as long as you have now, I did it for six years and it felt like a hundred. So the fact that you did it for 50, I, I mean, look, I, I think anyone that promotes a show, like not more than one, I'd say you, I feel like you have to put in at least a good 10 shows to really fully understand the stress and heartache and money and all this stuff that you have to put on the line to promote. Because a lot of people do a, like a one or two and done because they're like, they just lose their ass and they just, you know, cause they don't know what they're doing. I've seen it a million times. So have you, so it's like, well, uh, you know, that doesn't really count, but if you really have to, you know, try to book the storylines, try to do episodic television, try to do, uh, this stuff for a while. I mean, you know, the, I tell me if you agree with this. So I would, uh, at first, you know, you go into it like, a, a you know, a baby, just like so happy to be there and you're just whatever. And then you, you do it. And then you're like, I am so stressed out because the, the easiest thing is to make matches and throw them in the ring. It's basically you're, uh, you're stressed about money and tickets and promotion and all this other stuff. People, a lot of the boys have like you know, issues with how business is going to be done or whatever. <laughs> you're just dealing with all this extra garbage that you don't expect when you start doing this and then you have the show and you're stressed out and then the show is like euphoric and great and then afterwards if it goes well usually it did it was like you know i mean everyone can't stop talking about how it was the greatest night of their lives or whatever every time you know and then uh and then the whole stress starts over again so i can't imagine doing that for as long as you have yeah it's uh, you hit the nail on the head there it, it's it, it gets stressful uh my wife wants to uh, kill me sometimes and now my daughter who uh is helping me and my son um, uh, and they see what, cause they grew up in it. They, they grew up, uh, uh, my boys helping put the ring up or being the ring crew and stuff like that. And, and so back then it was all, uh, fun. They got to meet all the guys and now they're seeing what the, uh, behind the scenes are. Like you said, uh, getting the promotional work done. I'm kind of fortunate on one hand that I got a, I got a great locker room that, um, I got senior guys. I got guys who were trained by Harley race, like, sure. uh, uh, telecon, uh, uh, superstars defender uh, and then i got uh, night train gary jackson who started off with me when he was 16 years old wow. um and uh and is still out there today doesn't look like he's aged a bit you know a retired military guy and uh and just really goes out there he was out there in that 100 degree temperature friday night and, and did a curtain jerk for me you know just to set the stage yeah but then then i i get those uh, few guys together once a month and we go over the cards that are coming up and when you walk in our locker room it's not okay who's here tonight okay you're here so you're going to go against them we know several weeks out on what the cards are what the matches are and everything like that so that that takes a lot of that stress off mm-hmm. um you know, I've got a guy, my booker, uh, that uh, pretty well writes all the TV stuff for me. And then uh, him and I sit down and go over all that. And, of course, he knows that I make the final decisions because, uh, after all, I, I, I'm the one that uh, has got to hang my name on the shingle. And uh, But we're really, you know, as you know, you've done television. Uh, that's a whole different animal. Oh, yeah. Uh, and even though it's on uh, the YouTubes and the uh, 
we're on the uh, paranormal intrigue tv and then on facebook you still uh, on the uh, intrigue you have to you know give them time for their commercials and uh, everything's got to be timed out perfectly and uh, so that's a different animal but everybody works 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 for it and and i'm smart enough to know and been around long enough to know people are not going to get on an airplane from los angeles or even from chicago and fly into St. Louis to come to an SICW show every month. But what I'm doing is ex- exposure for some of the talent out there. And that's what I tell them. Uh, and that's why, like I said, my guys went up to Iowa. They wrestled on that card. They've, uh, they've been down to Florida to wrestle. They've been down to Tennessee to wrestle. And that's where I catch a lot of guff from some of these other promotions about uh, several years ago, my dressing room instituted a rule called the 25 mile rule, which meant that from the county limits of where we are, you can't work for another promotion 25 miles past that. And they all thought that I was trying to control it. Well, first of all, it wasn't me that did that. It was the locker room because they said, boss, we got to protect what we're building here. Sure. If we're, if we're working here and if I'm your big baby and I go down the road, 10 blocks to another promotion, and they want me to be their big heel or they beat me up real bad. It doesn't do you any good. Sure in heck don't do me any good. So, you know, they, some of these promotions consider that a road trip. Well, no, a road trip is when you get in a car and you drive a couple hundred miles away and then in front of a different audience, that's when you're getting your exposure because mm-hmm. 10 blocks down the road, you were playing in front of the same audience that, that you played for last week. And, uh, so it's just, uh, it, it, the stress is there, but you know, after a while, you know, I, I don't get me wrong. I still stress about every card. I mean, <laughs> even the paid shows I stress about because I stress because I want it to be the best show possible. Sure, sure. Every show I do, I want those, uh, uh, organizations that sponsoring it to call me back. And that's what we do. I've got places that I've been going back in for years and years every year. Um, you know, like the month of September and October, every weekend is booked up for us with these uh, shows and, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and what, what, what I do is I book backwards. So I know six months to a year out where I'm going to be at as far as talent and what, what storylines. And then we book back and if everybody stays healthy and stays with us, uh, that's where we'll be at. And it's, so it's called old school booking. And, that's uh, uh, that's and what I, I learned. learned that from Sam. That's how Vince did it too. Uh, when I was booking yep. for Vince or when I was on the writing team, whatever you call it, uh, they, um, yeah, we would have to plan mania to mania and uh, yeah. that's how it was. And you know, it's big picture pay-per-views yeah. that were, you know, at that point sure. beginning to be once yeah. a month, but, uh, yeah, know. well, and the spot shows are a little different. You can kind of vary from that, but I got to tell you, Chris, it is actually a, a, a treat to sit and talk with somebody that understands what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. when I tried, when I tried to explain that to other people, they're going, wait a minute, you book backwards. What does that mean? How, how do you look into the future? You know, and well, I'm thinking, I mean, obviously you're doing it on a wing and a prayer. Cause uh, you know, like you yes. just said, people get hurt. They're like, I'm done yep. with the business, <laughs> whatever. There's a million yeah. things. Yeah. Well, and that's the other part I'm so fortunate about is because, you know, we have a drama-free locker room uh, and everybody, and you said it earlier, you know, workers have issues and I understand that. And I listen to everybody. I try to help all my guys, uh, but they know that the ego has to be checked at the door. They know that Booker calls the shot uh, and my senior guys in there um, and, and that's just the way it is. Like I said, everybody comes in and, you know, it's, it, uh, they, they a little rib one another 
but you know uh, it's it's great uh, like on august 12th we'll have our house show and then on the 13th i hold them over and we do tv at noon and so for four hours they're in there and we're running the tv and they're back there ribbing one another but it's great to see them all in there and they're joking and cutting up and nobody's got an attitude and nobody's about it's not about the wins and losses it's about what can we do to please the fans yeah. That is how and I think that's why it's successful, you know. That's how 99% of the Metro Pro and at that at a certain point NWL locker rooms were and it's 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 great. I mean, it's awesome and that that camaraderie just before the show and meeting the legends if there is one or just guys like seeing each other for the first time in a month or week or whatever. It's yeah. uh, that's one of the best parts of doing it. It just is. Well, and- and I remember when we were talking, when you went to uh, NWL with Major, uh, mm-hmm. remember through that uh, whole ordeal when they first approached me and uh, uh, the first meeting I had, I took Larry along with me. And, uh, uh, and I don't think and I met with you as Major, wouldn't it? You, just... No, you didn't. It was uh, it was uh, Major and Travis is a guy from L.A. Travis Bowden. Yeah, well, yes. he was uh, Lawler's manager for a while in the 90s. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he was. But again, and I'll be real honest with you, that was the, uh, he was the guy that, uh, uh, signed and sealed and no, no go with me because he was just, he was just coming up with some, um, uh, back then, I guess. And I, and I don't keep up with, I didn't back then either with the, the Vince's stuff, but he was talking about the unicorns and about how we were sitting at the restaurant over in, uh, uh St. Louis. I took him to, uh, place called the hacienda restaurant i've been going there for 40 years and he uh we're sitting there and he's this travis starts talking about oh man man major can't you see this he said here look at just picture this just close your eyes he says here we've got chris this up and young and coming promoter and then we got herb the dinosaur and we're sitting around this uh boardroom table and they've got these unicorn unicorn uh, unicorn caps on and I say, well, wait a minute. I don't know what you're talking about, but it don't even sound good to me. Uh, but I just think he was too far over my head with that kind of stuff. And uh, and then Major Major started talking about how he wanted me to, you know, operate and run the St. Louis part of it. But he said, you know, and he had showed me his uh, five-year business plan because that was the first thing Larry asked him for. He said, I want to see what you got going on for the future. And, uh, and at that time, I mean, I'm still working the same job I got now and, uh, I wasn't leaving my job to do that, you know? Sure. So, but, uh, I guess, but, I mean, could... it was a good run. I, I loved it. I mean, he gave a lot of people, a lot of good opportunities, you know, a couple of things that came out of that. Well, first of all, like, uh, I, I think you're referring to when, uh, the unicorn thing, I believe was, uh, that's when, oh, I'm blanking Biggie and those guys had the goofy, like, and for some reason we had one of those, we had a couple of those headbands in the office for some reason. I don't even know how that came up, but, um, the, the, uh, I don't, and Travis was very old school, like rest in peace. Travis, he's he's gone. He's, uh, yeah, he was a big NWA guy and Memphis guy and all that. But, um, he, you know, but he was a, he was an interesting guy. Um, you know, I you were one of the names that I gave major originally to be involved in that, just because it was uh, you had had a similar philosophy and similar stance on wrestling that I did. Now, the best thing about doing that for me was um, 
I, you know, I had, it was, uh, I could, have, I, I could jump in my career at the time I was in broadcast television. I had the Metro pro on our, on their sports station I was doing, but I was ready for a change. And this came out of the blue and I was like, this is the second time I'll have a full-time job in pro wrestling. So that was a cool adventure to take. Um, sure. But, uh, one of the things that came out of NWL is sort of ties in what you're talking about with indie issues is that, you know, he was wanting people to, he was he was basically Vince Jr. as far as like trying to protect his in, intellectual property. So he wanted people to have a separate gimmick for NWL than they would have any other indie around. And right. I I understood that completely because it, oh yeah, that's a Vince philosophy. It also sort of goes with the twenty five mile rule, which is you know even if you're and for most of the part time guys because there was only you know eight to ten full time guys there but the part time guys they could be you know Joe Blow at NWL but then they could go be their real names anywhere else and I thought that was totally cool I don't know why that was a problem but uh, a lot of people didn't see it that way they thought it was no they, it didn't and, and and again he gave he actually opened up the door for a lot of those guys you know the Jake Durdens and people like that sure and, um, and I just. Um, and that's why I said, Larry, Larry kept up with what, uh, you guys were doing. And then major, even after I turned his deal down and, uh, you know, he was gonna, then he wanted to, uh, license my, uh, uh TV footage and everything I had. And, mm-hmm. uh, and again, it was just, uh, it was one of those, you know, if it, I was taught a long time ago, if it didn't feel right, just, uh, it's okay to pass on it, you know? And I got to say, after he, uh, he shut it down he called us and told us, he said, you know, I kind of wished I'd have listened to, he said, I let some people get in my ears and cause he told us in the second meeting we had was a little steak and shake. That was Larry's favorite place to go to. Uh, mm-hmm. and him and his, uh, uh, fiance at that time, a real attractive young lady, uh, that showed up with him for that meeting. And, um, he told Larry and I, he said, look, he said, I got a million dollars. I'm, I'm going to spend it. And cause he, I think his goal uh, at first was he wanted to own a, uh, uh, minor league baseball team. He wanted, to own, he wanted to be a he wanted to be an owner of a major league baseball team like at Ma- least a, okay. a minority owner in a major league. Yeah, baseball that's what team. he told me. Yeah, yeah. I was some, I knew it was something to do with baseball and he said it didn't go. You know, he couldn't get it all put together the way he thought it should be and then that's when the wrestling came up and uh and you know and then when I saw, you know, he was uh, getting these contracts and I thought, you know, man, this is good for the talent cuz he had some talent. I mean, uh, when you look and see what we guys were putting together there, I, I, I kind of wish he'd have stayed on because I often think, man, if he'd have kept that thing going, uh, where would he have been at to this day, you know? There was a – so we were actually turning a profit and going in the right direction at the end. He just had some personal stuff get in the way of other things. But uh, he started, uh, as you know – I mean, look – I gave him my two cents, but I'm also not a multimillionaire business guy. So, you know, I'll, I'll tell him what I know about wrestling and at every level that I knew. And, uh, you know, I knew it was going to be a, a, a pretty hard uphill climb at that point in, in wrestling to make it a go with what he wanted to do. I mean, shoot, you can't even the, – the major league levels that they're working on now, they don't even give like what he was giving these guys, you know, uh, room and board, a full a contract, full salary – uh, health insurance and getting health insurance for wrestlers, not easy. So no, there's no. like two or three in America that will actually do something called pro wrestling insurance for like individuals. I'm talking about not for a show, not liability insurance. I'm just saying, you know, health insurance. Sure. And so yeah. that was, that was a lot of money and he it was put, a lot of money. Yeah. And, and that's what I told him. And, you know, I kind of had that same similar discussion with Billy Corgan, uh, with the NWA, um, 
because, you know, he was interested in the St. Louis tapes. And so for about a year, year and a half, we were negotiating with him. And, and uh, you know, I think what Billy's trying to do is okay. But I, I told him during the one phone conversation, the conference call we had with my attorney, and I just said, you know, you know, no disrespect, uh, William, but, you know, if you don't know what the NWA stood for and what it meant, then all you did is purchase three letters. you got to know how it got started and what made it so successful or what it was, because I think that's one thing he's lacking now is, uh, and again, I know he wants to change the concept of it, but, uh, then, then what does the NWA mean? You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, uh, so, but, uh, but I wish him well, and I know he's coming back to St. Louis and, uh, for uh, NWA 75 and, uh, uh, it's just, uh, yeah, but I still think that you got to, uh, and I even told him, I said, I don't know squat about music, <laughs> but I think I know a little bit about promoting wrestling, you know? I, I, so. did, I, uh, I can tell you, I, I, we could do a whole other show just on, um, what I have, uh, dealt with or had to watch or hear about from the NWA level from just like the 2009 to now, <laughs> which is oh, I can imagine, an yeah. amazing array of personalities and people involved and in, uh, fake ownership and, uh, lawyers. And I mean, it's crazy. I mean, oh yeah, I, I don't know. Like one of the, I don't know. Did you ever have to. Like when, this is going back to the Metro Pro days, but when I first started, you know, some people were using NWA yep. uh, on their show. So, and and I was talked into doing that, which you know, I was like, well, whatever, you know. Basically, they were going to provide me some liability insurance and all this stuff. So I thought, so and the use of their title, stuff like that. So then I start doing that on our shows, and then then the big lawsuit comes up where you know Bruce Tharp is involved and Robert I was just getting ready as I was getting Rowan's name out there. <laughs> and, and so he had some and so he ends up uh long story short I found out the it, it turns out that the insurance they were giving everyone was basically not even valid. Not even valid. And right. uh yeah. so I got to be honest, I currently have the Central States Championship and the NWA Kansas title and I got several titles that I did not return because I said, "Hey, you can have these when you give me all my money back that I paid you for the use of that uh fraud of <laughs> that fraud yeah. insurance." So, I sort of I sort of came out even at the end. Well, and I got to tell you, uh, they they try to hook me into it, hook, line, and sinker, and, and I'm not saying I'm smarter than anybody, but I just, like I said, it, it's usually if it sounds too good, it probably isn't, mm-hmm. and uh, and I never did get involved, even though I had other promotions around here locally that uh, that was getting involved in it, Kenny G and people like that. Oh, you got to get involved. That you know, we can get you the champion to work, and all you got to do is do this and do that. Sure. Look, if I want to do that, I'll, I'll I'll go get I'll get the guys that I need to get. You know, uh, but I know I never did get involved in that, and I've seen Bruce and, uh, but um, yeah, they, that was a selling point. Well, we can get you cheap insurance, and I said, well, my insurance is okay. Uh, but you know, most people, people like don't even that, have insurance, by the way. They don't, they don't. And that's what I tell these guys, go ask them for their liability insurance. Say, oh, I got insurance. And if the wrestler gets hurt in there, uh, it's going to cover it. Well, I want to see who's writing that policy. Yeah. To get any uh, kind of reputable building, they usually ask for it, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, you got to give them a certificate of insurance and what the limits of liabilities are. And, sure. But, uh, that's what I said when, I get organizations call me and say, you know, so-and-so uh, uh, wrestling group called and they want to rent our hall. Uh, and we know you've been doing it a long time. Uh, you know, uh, 
would you come and do it? I said, no, not if you've already been approached by an organization because I don't want the reputation uh, that I come in and undercut them or this or that. Mm -hmm. Now, I will tell you, if you let them run in there and if you're happy with them, fine. But if it doesn't go well, I won't come in there for the next six months or a year for you because, uh, you know, I got groups that come in and just try to kill the town and you try to get a payday and then they go on down the road, you know. Sure, sure. Uh, And you know how that works. And and I'm very selective about the organ because when I take on a show for an organization, I, I take I, I take it on hook, line and sinker with it because I tell them, you, if you follow what I'm telling you, you can usually come out ahead of it. Uh, the odds are if you don't, if your group is lazy, then you're probably barking up the wrong tree. But uh, knock on wood, my, the groups that I deal with uh, year after year go out and really, really uh, hype it and push it and. And, and that's what it takes. And that's why, you know, we're sitting there with, you know, several hundred people that show up to some of these matches. You that's know? cool. That's great. Well, let's finish mm-hmm. up by talking about sure. your, your convention in the Cauliflower Alley. The, your convention you had, and when I started seeing all these things trickling out uh, about it, you would name like a new person like every day for, it seemed like forever. And I was mm-hmm. like, man, Herb is really uh, putting his butt on the line for this one. And so then I remember like messaging you and you were like, oh man, it is crazy. And I can only imagine putting one of those together because I think, I think any promoter that's done it for a while and loves going to either Cauliflower Alley or, you know, or Iowa or, you know, wherever that has something like that, you're like, I wonder if that would work here. And so I know, uh, you obviously probably had that in your mind for a while. So how did that go? And did it turn out like, I mean, what was the stress leading up to that one? Well, it was uh, something that, um, and you're right. I, you know, I, I belong to Cauliflower Alley, a lifetime member, and it's a, it's an organization that's close to my heart, and because uh, I think it's like a supplemental insurance policy for our guys um, at, a, at a at a reasonable rate. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, I'm on the advisory board there, and uh, so. I go there and I go to some of these other ones, but uh, there's never been a fan fest uh, put in uh, on in Missouri. And um, I thought, you know, they do them at the gathering. They do them all over. Uh, You know, why wouldn't it work here? And I'll be real honest with you. When I started kicking around with my uh, senior referee, uh, Nick Redenire, um, I was just going to bring in, you know, four or five guys. And I thought, well, this doesn't make no sense because just last October I had 11 guys in, uh, at the fairgrounds over here in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I said, so I can't call this uh, SICW fan fest and only bring in five or six guys. So I said, let's see what we can do. And then man, it, it started snowballing. And, uh, I mean, I had guys actually calling me, uh, Ted DiBias, uh, called me one evening and said, Hey, why ain't I on that card? I said, cause I can't afford you on this one. He said, Herb, there is no Ted DiBias. If, uh, there is no St. Louis. And he said, that's where I got my start. I want to be a part of this. I'll work with you. So I had guys like that, you know, and then mm-hmm. of course, uh, inducting Jerry Briscoe into the St. Louis wrestling hall of fame that Larry and I, uh, started. Um, you know, and of course, then he calls me back and says, Hey, what would you think if I bring a uh, JBL in with me to do the induction? Hmm, cool. Am I, am I, am I going to tell him no? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. And then it just, you know, and then a couple of the other, uh, um, uh, uh, guys out there, GT collectibles, uh, Scott Wilder productions, uh, you know, the, they, they brought in a few of the guys for me and, and I, you're right. I find myself every day is somebody saying, Hey, well, what about Buff Bagwell? We can bring him. What about this or that, you know? And, 
Uh, and then I'm thinking, man, I got to tie in some of the St. Louis guys. So, you know, I got Baron Ron Roschke involved. And, uh, but before we ended up, uh, after it was all said and done, we had 52 names listed and, uh, there was only two of them that ended up couldn't making it for, uh, travel, uh, uh, issues, but that's not bad, you know, and for the first time going on, um, you know, we had it at the hotel there in, uh, in St. Louis, um, that was a uh, logistical nightmare. Uh, but the big uh, logistical problem is making sure the flights, uh, getting people picked up, you sure. know, because they don't all come in at the same time. I mm-hmm. think I made 40 trips back and forth to the airport that day. Uh, you know, some were able to come in the night before, some was coming in the next morning. And, uh, but it, um, you know, it, it turned out uh, a lot better you talk about the stress level i mean it oh, was yeah. it was high mm. and uh but it turned it turned out great i mean the fact that night after the the show you know barbara goodish was there we did the bruiser brody battle royal uh you know the main event a texas death match with you know i was able to get dory funk to do a, a, a interview uh, a week before advertising that because his dad was the one that's basically invented the Texas death match. Cool. So he was able to go over the rules of what the Texas death match, and, and even though St. Louis was popular for having them there, uh, uh, you know, everybody does them differently. It's like cage matches, you know, you, do you climb out of the cage or do you go through the door? Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I've tied that all in uh, systematically and I, I got more, um, uh, uh Pats on the back from uh, the talent, even the legends that follow my social media, saying, "Boy, you are you are just putting them out there one at a time. You're you're dipping the worm in the water and you know, having them nibble on it because you know here's Brutus Barber Beefcake one day, and then the next day it would be you know Jerry Briscoe being inducted, and then the next day, oh oh by the way, I'm going to induct J.J. Dillon into the St. Louis Wrestling Hall of Fame." You know, uh, so people actually got to where they were waiting every day to see who was going to be next. But after the end of the evening, um, uh, I had uh, people coming up and saying, hey, when's uh, SICW Fan Fest 2 going to be? And I said, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) I need a cold beer. (laughs) And uh, need to bask in this for a while. And then it makes you feel good. You walk into the lounge area there and uh, it's jam packed and people get up and start applauding, you know, and, you know, guys like Greg Ganya and uh, Stan Hansen and them coming up and hugging you and saying, man, we go to these things. And this has been the most uh, coordinated, uh, organized event that we can remember. And that makes you feel good, you know. So uh, is there going to be a, a SICW Fan Fest too? Uh, it's about a 50, 50 uh, shot right now. <laughs> cool. I mean, I'm so. sure it's like, like you said, it's like shows. I'm sure it's like you run one and it was stressful, but it goes great. And you're like, you know what? I could probably do that a little bit better next yeah. time. Like, it's just, yeah. it's just, uh, when I, when I stopped promoting shows, um, you know, a few years back, I, I did go through like a time of withdrawal for a while because it's just, um, you know, everything on my social media is indie wrestling or something to, tied yeah. to wrestling. And, uh, you know, I was just, it, it hurt me to not um, do it for a long time. But I was just like, no, nah, I just, I had other things going on in my life, yeah. starting a new business, kids, all this other stuff. And I just yeah. didn't do it as much. Um, yeah. And uh, well, so I understand that feeling of wanting to continue well, to do it. it. And I got to tell you, I, I told you at the beginning uh, how Larry uh, was uh, always impressed with what you were doing out there. I, I remember because there wasn't a day and I mean, literally a day never went by that him and I didn't talk seven days a week. I mean, uh, we may start talking about 
the weather. We may start talking about uh, the sports because he was a big sports guy. But before we got off that phone, we were talking wrestling. And uh, he always would say, he said, man, wouldn't it be great if we could just, you know, Kansas City, we could do with Chris just like we used to do back with Keigel and them. They're far enough away. You know, we could swap talent back and forth sure. and I said, yeah, it's just, and if there's anybody that's got the mindset to do it, he's got the experience. Nowadays, you try to explain to some of these guys about what, what swapping talent means. Um, it, it's like, well, we don't know if that'll work. Well, well, why won't it work? If it won't work, it's because you don't want it to work. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's like the, uh, babies in the heel. Well, I, I can turn anybody anytime I want to, you know, in, in one day if I have to. Sure. But uh, I, I just, uh, it will work. It's just you got to have people that, that want to do it, you know. Yeah, or understand what they're doing. That's the real problem. Yeah. I mean, as you know, like it's just um, it's just easy to become an executive in pro wrestling. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't, there's not <laughs> yeah. a high bar, really. There's I, not, I haven't learned that yet. It's not like, but I mean, it's, people get in it and do just great. That's fine. And then other people yeah. do it and you're like, man, I really wish you wouldn't. So I, it happens a lot, but they, Larry Matisic, uh, I came to an SICW show, like I said, like 10, 15 years ago. And he, he treated me like gold sort of Jew. Everybody was great there. And it was like a really, really good time. I was glad I was able to go over there and yeah. see him and meet him and talk with him for a long time before he passed away. Uh, oh yeah. Great, great dude, great guy and a tie in to an era that is gone. And, um, yeah, it was cool. Uh, he taught me so much about it. You know, it's, it's just, uh, I'll never forget it. Yeah. And I've read, I've, I always called him about new books. He put it, seemed like he was pumping out a book of about every year or so at that point. So it's like, yeah, yeah. I've actually got the last book that he was uh, working on. Uh, it was one chapter away. I got the transcript of it. And what was that about? It's going to be the difference between Sam Muchnick and Vince McMahon. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure and, I'm, uh, I can only imagine the, how that, how well, he would write that one. Well, that's the one him and I argued over the most over uh, because I told him I said, "Look, this is going to be this will be the hardest book you've ever thought about because you you despise Vince McMahon so much <laughs> and you loved Sam so much. So you got to be fair, and if you don't, the readers are going to read through this because we have openly expressed that concern to you. And that's the one thing I always liked about his his books and his ability to write was he was fair and honest about it." Uh, but that was going to be a tough one. And, and like I said, the last chapter was going to be about the attendance records that, uh, that Sam would draw with the, uh, keel as opposed to what, uh, you know, Vince would be drawing and, uh, just a different time, different era. But, uh, you know, on a regular basis, Sam would put 12,800 people in that key auditorium. You know, one of the smallest crowds that I ever remember him putting in there was about 3000. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and uh, but you know he was, uh, I guess on an average, you know that eight to nine thousand was his average uh, house card there uh, uh, on a monthly basis, and sometimes twice a month. You know, you know, I uh, I was really lucky to be involved with uh, Vince McMahon was my boss for when I was twenty two years old to twenty five years old, and uh -huh. I would be on a jet with him uh, a couple days. You know, me and eight other people. Uh, right. We'd fly in jets. We'd be in limos with him. I would see him dance to music. I would see him work out uh, four times a day. I'd be in the gym at one a.m. with my other buddy, who you know were single guys and working long hours like you do at that age. And like, and I just had an, a unique experience with Vince when he was in his mid fifties yeah. or so, and it was uh, he was the most 
interesting guy I'll ever meet. And Major Basin had a lot of vents in him too, by the way. There's yep. some similarities there. There was, yeah, uh, you could see that, yeah. But uh, but it was like, uh, so it's interesting to re- see people's perspective on Vince uh, that that you know maybe didn't have as much of a, a in- intimate like uh, relationship with him that I did because he was fascinating in his uh, complexity of the way he uh, ran his life and his business and just I mean he's they don't make him like him he doesn't live like a normal no. life like he doesn't no. have like uh, a normal family life a normal life in general he'll die uh, doing wrestling and that's not a bad thing is but it's uh, He'll feel, like he said before, he'll feel very unfulfilled and mad when he dies because he wanted to do so much more, and that's just the way he runs his life. He's, oh, yeah. He's a yeah. crazy guy. But uh, the yeah. I want to end up with the Cauliflower Alley here. Um, you know, I started going probably I, – I, I didn't go every year, but I started going probably – seven, eight years ago. I went once with a few of my friends, one of them being Ace Steel, and um, uh, I went great, out Great there guy, and, by the way. I love Ace. He's yeah. a great guy. Um one of my one of my best friends. He uh, we went out there, and I had never gone there, but I go with my dad to Vegas like once or twice a year. So uh, it just happens I go on a Sunday, leave on a Wednesday, and that's basically what uh, the uh, Cauliflower Alley schedule is to a degree. So I said um, I started going again, and I know you're on the board there, and I saw Brian Solomon there last year, and I worked with him at the Titan Tower in Connecticut, and um, I see a bunch of the uh, the guys there, and I, I really enjoy just going to the nostalgia room and seeing everybody because it's not like your typical fan fest where there are fans there, but there's no children. It's usually just older, like my age people or older maybe that that just uh, remember the legends. Uh, it's not your typical, like, you know, I try to explain to people, it's not like going to uh, access from WWF or something like that. Um, right. It's way more family feeling and it's not so um you're like closer to them to to the guys, you know, like the, than you are at other things and uh, I know you're involved in that now and it's coming up and I'll be seeing you there cuz I'll be going again this year, but that's uh just tell me about how you got involved in that and like how that is different from other other conventions. Well, I, you know, like I said a little while ago, the uh, CAC is real close uh, to me uh, to the fact that I've seen them help so many of our men and women in the business. And uh, um, I've got good people, uh, uh, you know, B. Brian Blair, uh, the CEO, uh, president of the organization, uh, Darla Staggs, uh, the lady who uh, is in charge of the benevolence on the executive board. She attended her first uh uh, wrestle match in 1959 at Keel Auditorium when Pat O'Connor took on Dick Hutton for the NWA title. Now <laughs> she was in her dad's arms at that time, <laughs> but, uh, she, when you talk about, uh, wrestling, uh, fans, top wrestling fans, Darla's names in that book. And, uh, that's why we included her into the, uh, wrestling at the chase. Second book that I helped, uh, Ed Wheatley do the first one was with, uh, Larry, but, um, the the cauliflower alley like i said i've seen them help so many people uh and and uh that's fallen on hard times and it's a it's an organization that uh you know if you're out there because as you know or the boys uh, that are working uh don't have the health insurance don't have the uh 401ks and so when they do fall on hard times and when i say help them i've seen them help uh, guys who make car payments uh, medical payments uh, uh pay for funerals um, and you know, for, uh, uh, $25, I think it's totally 2750 a year, an annual or $300 for a lifetime membership. That's a small price to pay 
if you're a worker uh, and, you know, whether you're a wrestler, ring announcer, ring crew, as long as you're associated with three years or longer, you, you can join and, uh, and get those benefits from it. Uh, so Larry, Larry, uh, got me involved many, many years ago, uh, with it. And, uh, and then I ended up getting the red Bastine award, uh, friendship year, uh, award one year. And, um, and I remember Brian Blair chewing my butt out after uh, I gave my little speech because I, I gave credit to all the guys I was sitting here saying, then you got Sergeant Slaughter sitting there. I got tapes of him out of St. Louis. You know, I've got so-and-so sitting there, Kevin Sullivan, when he had his first match in St. Louis against Pat O'Connor. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going around the room. And then when I get off, Brian said, Hey, God damn it. This was your time. You know, uh, uh, he said, you're giving us all credit. I said, Brian, I'm telling you, I'm, there is no Herb Simmons uh, in this business if it wasn't for what you guys all built. And uh, and so uh, the, the, it's, the, it's a great organization, and I just I, I, I preach it to people every day, hey, join. And, in fact, the vice president, uh, Rich Engling, came to our show about a year ago, and uh, I had Joyce Grable and uh, uh, Dutch Mantell at that show. It was during the Bruiser Brilliant Memorial, uh, and uh, – I said, I'm going to do something. And we were in the locker room. And so I said, Rich, I'm going to take you out there and introduce you. You give your sales pitch. And so he gets up there and talks about what they do. And, and then I took the mic and I said, look, and for anybody who joins here tonight uh, before uh, the evening's over with, you get to come to any show for the rest of the year for free of SICW. <laughs> and, and Rich goes, Holy shit. He, man, he, he, he got on the phone with Brian and said, you never guess what Herb just did. And they signed up 27 people that night oh, alone. Cool. And uh, and then we had TV the next day, and he came back, and they signed up a couple more people that day. And and then what that did is they put that out there on the CAC page, mm-hmm. and then uh, a few other promotions around the country uh, took that step. And uh, I think totally out of the three of us did it, you know, they ended up with another 75 members out of that. Which is uh, not a lot, but it's, it's it's better than nothing, you know. No, that's uh, I mean that's uh, yeah. Uh, you know how else are you going to grow it? I mean that's this uh, thing yeah. that's sort of a uh, uh, even though it's been around a long time at this point, it's still sort of like a a, a movement yeah. at a lower level that needs to continue. You know. Well, and then you know, there's as you know, just the times you've been out there, you know, there's always surprises they have, and I mean the one year they had uh, me a part of the uh, panel of uh, promoters, and they had. Uh, different uh, length of time i was the oldest promoter that served on it so i got mm-hmm. to tell it from that perspective and they had a young lady that uh, was on there who was just getting started in fact she's doing a seminar out there this year to talk about the social media aspect because when i was there i i, I talked about how i use social media and how i'll continue to use it until they start charging me for it <laughs> you sure, know because sure. uh, there's not a day doesn't go by that i'm not doing something on it and uh uh, because it's the way the world is nowadays, you know, and, uh, and it's been, been very useful, very helpful because, you know, nowadays, uh, newspapers don't exist hardly anymore. And, uh, no, it is the way to post to the town now, really. I mean, you can still do postering of towns to a degree in smaller and smaller towns. We do. we do that. And, yeah. Yeah. I know it's still, it still works in, in places, but I like social media and ads on social media and, you know, just that's, that's how it's done now. I mean, I do it with my other business, you know, that's how, that's how I get a lot of uh, eyeballs on things and it's just the way the world. Yeah, now. you got to. And then, and I'm fortunate. I've got some connections with the St. Louis news media through my day job uh, that when I'm bringing in the legends, uh, you know, I'll, when I get them at the airport, I'll stop down at the TV station and, 
they'll put us on the, uh, you know, the four or five and sometimes the 10 o'clock news. And, uh, that, that always helps out. And, uh, so, you know, you take advantage of all that you can, you know, to try to get the butts in the seats. And, uh, yeah. But, that's, uh, that's yeah. the end goal. That's <laughs> the end goal to keep doing it, you know? Yeah. So, I, yeah. I think it's, uh, people don't, you know, some people get title sponsors now and, uh, I think that's great. If you can do that, that is, uh, awesome because you don't really, it takes the stress off of selling tickets, you know, yep. but, uh, yeah. but I also think that the true measure, I'm just, I say this maybe cause I'm just out of my own selfishness, I guess, but the true measure was selling tickets because I just feel that is like how you can really judge who's coming out and seeing your stuff and who's, you know, oh, yeah. put their money on the line as opposed to, you know, people, you know, that are, you know, it's great. Again, I, I do events where I get a title sponsor and again, it takes a lot of pressure off me, but if I really want to know how something's going to sell, there's nothing like selling those actual tickets. And it's funny because yep. the big boys don't really care about ticket sales anymore as much as nope. anything else. But, um, but you know, that's, yeah. that's why I'm not the big boys, I guess. So no, that's why we're sitting here on a Sunday evening talking about yeah. it. And the other ones are just counting their money. Pretty you know? money. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, Herb, I, I really appreciate you joining me for this long chat. I, uh, you know, we're in the same area. We've had a lot of the same connections. I've known you now, like I said, for, I don't know, we're going on like 10, 15 years. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I appreciate uh, talking about the history of the area and just, I'm looking yeah, forward to I, seeing you in Vegas, which is always a yeah. fun time. Well, maybe we'll catch a drink together, uh, whatever your choice is, uh, whether it's a soda pop or a uh, alcoholic beverage the first one's on me yeah i'll get some of that top shelf stuff out in one of those uh bars <laughs> they, they're real cheap out there in vegas you know so i'll, I'll oh, do oh yeah 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 it's 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 a you know it's a great time i um i each year i procrastinate on going and of course then i get calls from brian and blair and uh, because my schedule, you know, my day job keeps me pretty busy too, but, uh, it's, yeah. it's a way to get out there and it's a, it's a great networking. And that's what I tell these other promotions. You know, if you really want to be serious about the business, go out there and show yourself, you know, put your shirt on and let everybody know who you are because everybody's friendly, you know, uh, you know, everybody to answer your questions and talk to you. And, you know, they got a pretty good lineup of guests this year coming and whatever surprises that show up, you know, so. I will be yeah. seeing, I believe, Ace Steel out there based on his best friend being there as well. So, well, that'd be good. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to uh, like to catch up with him. And uh, like I said, it's uh, you know when you talk about guys that uh, were uh, up at that top of that ladder, it was him, man. I'll tell you. Oh yeah, so, no, uh, he's, he was a great dude to know, and um, I will be seeing him out there with you. So, thank yeah, you very okay, much. Buddy. I appreciate it, and uh, let's uh, let's do this again. Thanks, Herb. It's the worst territory. All right, welcome back to the worst territory in the world. And and perhaps, Chris, this might be our longest episode ever because of that long, beautiful, yeah. dynamic interview with Herb Simmons. Herb <laughs> and I have a lot of like similarities, you know. We've been we we had connections, we did promoting, we we love the old school stuff. I love the way he uses legends. I like using legends too on shows. Um, yeah. you know, I was glad to talk to him about the NWL because there was, you know, there was some there were some negative thoughts probably on both sides about his thoughts on that and his sort of like turning it down. And as years have gone by, I can be a little bit more uh, soft on those things because I understand, but when you're in the middle of it, gosh, man, there's so many things that have changed as I've gotten older. Like I said, when I was in my twenties and WWE was, you know, the 1990s and everybody was like, it's so crass. It's so dirty. And I'd be like, you guys are so like just prudes. I mean, this is, this is life, you know? And like, now that I have kids, I'm like, yeah, I don't want you to watch any of that. Um, but, you know, it's just how it is when you get older. So, oh, yeah. um, 
you you appreciate things a little bit more and you understand uh, perspectives better. But anyway, thank you, Herb Simmons, for being a part of it. And uh, he has been, you know, part of the central states territory and uh, technically somewhat a part of the worst territory in the world for many, many long years. So uh, thank you, Herb, for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Got a lot of uh, a lot of great things coming up here on worst territory in the world. Um, before we wrap this up, Chris, um, you know, just want to throw in a few plugs there. Uh, the peculiar, peculiar winery, if I could ever speak correctly, is open for all your beautiful wine tasting and food needs. Uh, Chris, do you have any events coming up this weekend? Oh, we always have food trucks and uh, live music every Friday and Saturday at the Peculiar Winery. Uh, I always have like murder mysteries and every once in a while I have some celebrity appearances. It's a try to make it a fun place. So come on out. Peculiar, Missouri. It's only about 20 minutes south of Kansas City. Right off the 70, the, what is it, the 71? 71 and for I-49. They've retitled the stupid highway, Interstate 49, <laughs> but it, it was always 71 highway for many years. That's right. So go check uh, Chris out at Peculiar Winery. Also, if you need any real estate needs met, I am your guy. I go by Ben Miller in real estate and my website is benmiller.realestate. And also you can check me out on YouTube at Ben Miller Realty of KC. And that is the same for Facebook. And don't forget to give us five stars on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on right now also go follow us on our facebook page worst wrestling is that correct chris worst wrestling yep hash uh, at worst wrestling hashtag worst wrestling however you find us but that is facebook.com slash worst wrestling uh also on instagram and uh, i post all our stuff on metro pro wrestling's facebook too because a lot of the guys that are involved in this are involved in that so uh, there you go and also, we want to, uh, you know, Chris, me and you got to talk off air. I want to get our YouTube channel up and running because maybe we'll do one of these, like, you know, where we can actually, you know, post it, a video of me and you actually talking back and forth, and we'll have little fancy things on it, all that kind I'll of stuff. I'll have to stop doing some of the stuff I do, and I'll have to stop naming <laughs> myself the way I do. But yeah, that's possible. <laughs> all right, Chris. Well, uh, the final segment of the show, as you know, we always uh, like to dig into each other and uh, ask each other trivia questions like last week, which was a lot of fun. This week, we are going to do another Mount Rushmore. This week's Mount Rushmore, and this is for my buddy Trinity, because me and Trinity have been doing non-wrestling related Mount Rushmores because of this podcast. So the wow. Mount Rushmore this week is the best. Your Mount Rushmore Summer Slam matches. Chris, you go first. Summer Slam matches. Well, gosh, there's so many throughout the years. The what is it? The is it the fourth oldest? Let's see. So it was um, it, technically it was Mania. Then it was Mania. technically Survivor Series. Survivor Series, then Rumble, Royal Rumble, then Slam. Then Slam. Okay, so yep. it's the fourth of the four big ones. Um, and you know, I will never forget my very first. Uh, gosh, one of my first Coliseum videotape rentals was some, the first Summer Slam '88. Oh, loved and it. That was that was uh Hogan, and and it was it was the Mega Powers, right? Is that what it was? It was I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and Jesse Ventura was involved. He was the referee. It was a tag match, which wasn't necessarily, you know, he loved Vince loved tag matches to start a pay-per-view. Like that's the first, you know, it's always a WrestleMania one, the tag match at the main event was just weird, but based on what he went on to go do. But I loved the SummerSlam eighty eight. It was one of my all-time favorites. I mean, gosh, 
What about the Ultimate Warrior and Honky Tonk? I mean, that's not really a match, but what a moment. Oh, I mean, my that- God. What a moment, dude. That When his music hit, the crowd literally came unglued. Like, it was one of the loudest pops I've heard. In, uh, so I would have to point. say... I would have to say that you know I'm I'm a, it's more moments for me that moment of okay. honky tonk man hey bring out anybody out here I don't care I'm <laughs> in my I'm in my suit come on out you know and like dude and they hit that music of the dingo warrior that it turned into the ultimate warrior and everyone just went crazy it was a surprise which you don't get a lot now ever so it was just sort of weird because you know there's very few like major pay per views where it's just like mystery opponent you know or whatever or that you allow a heel to go out and just call out anybody in the back. And when he ran out there and beat him and just did him a couple clotheslines and did everything, um, and you hear Honky Tonk tell stories about that night, it's always hilarious. But that was a huge moment. Also, um, gosh, most of my favorite matches have to do with Bret Hart, too. I loved. Oh, my gosh. Um, SummerSlam King. Yeah, Bret Hart was, uh, that was in the 80, late 80s, early 90s. He's the king of this stuff. He, I loved him and Mr. Perfect. That'd probably be one. Um, Beautiful. Great him match. and uh, him and Bulldog is probably has to be top one or two or three of the best matches of all time in SummerSlam, uh, where you know that was just an incredible. That was SummerSlam '92. That was an incredible moment, and then uh, of course LOD bringing out Rocco on the. Motorcycle I was just gonna say that. I was that. just gonna say that. <laughs> Not one of my favorite moments. That's a freaking horrible moment. One of the reasons, many reasons why Demolition is better than Legion of Doom. Oh, hey. But uh, so I gosh, and then I think like TLC, the very first TLC match, I believe was 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, that 2001, was 2000. Yeah, I can't remember. That was an incredible match that obviously started a, a history of TLC matches with Edge and Christian, the Dudleys and the Hardys. And that was that was probably my four. So Brett Bulldog, Brett Perfect, Warrior Honky Tonk and then um, TLC. Wow. Okay, that's a really, really solid list. And I'm going to share one of those matches with you. So my four, <laughs> one of them. Okay, so the first one is Shawn Michaels versus Hulk Hogan. And let me tell you why. Shawn Michaels, probably at that point in his life, just did not want to do this match or do the favors, quote unquote, for Hulk Hogan. And how he sells that entire match is things of legend. Like, it was not a great match. But go back and watch that match. He, the way he takes, like, Hogan's moves is, like, he is selling to the moon. Like, he is being shot by mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan. Every Like, punches. It's hilarious. It's yeah hilarious it's like it's sort of like and i love Shawn michaels for being like a smart ass his entire career and when he came back when you're talking about he was he was a good boy but like uh but he sort of reverted to some sean like a-hole ways which by the way sean's a-hole ways is what made him like the legend that he is and reason why i think he's the best wrestler of all time is usually because of his pre-98 you know injury but uh but yes every once in a while you see a shred of that and that was definitely in the way he was selling for hogan oh it was oh so classic and i just remember watching it and i was kind of I wasn't watching a lot of WWE. I just got back into pro wrestling via ring of honor. So, but I remember the buildup to that was really good. He did this like Larry King segment and all this kind of stuff. So Michael's promos were, I mean, Michael's is one of the best ever. I mean, if you talk about Mount Rushmore of the best ever, Michael's in a lot of cases has to be on that list. So that's uh, the fourth one for me. The third one for me 
is actually a terrible match, but it meant so much to me in my childhood. And that was Rick Rude versus the Ultimate Warrior. And it was right after, I believe, Warrior won the title from Hogan at WrestleMania. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it proved that that ship was sinking real quick. And I remember vividly as a child going, I kind of want Rick Rude to win. Like, cause the vignettes building him up, he seemed like a badass. Yeah. 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 Y- you know, and I, and then obviously in retrospect, Rick Rude is one of my all time favorites. Like, I, he's great. He was, I, he, was a, he sounds like not the greatest person, but he was a great wrestler. Yeah. My favorite, have I ever told you my favorite picture of all time from pro wrestling? What's that? Is the one of him and Vader sta- standing outside of an Econo Lodge and, he has a 357 Desert Eagle and he's just like holding it to his chest and Vader's just standing next to him. I'm like, that's Rick Rude. Like, put that on my casket or something. It's just, it's like the greatest picture ever where he's just like, he's just like, yeah, I've got the biggest handgun known to mankind. And then him and Vader just standing there outside of an Econo Lodge in the 90s. Great, great picture. And that's when he cut his hair and all that kind of stuff. So that's one of my favorites. Um, another uh, match that we share in common, I will never forget the Wembley Stadium wrestle, uh, excuse me, SummerSlam. That Bulldog and Bret Hart match was absolutely incredible. The, the crowd reaction, the wrestling. British Bulldog was a great professional wrestler. Great. He was. Someone was talking about that last week. I think it was Cornette. Someone had asked about why why he wasn't ever world champ. And I'm like, he just he just didn't. He just I just didn't feel like he had. That. that you know yeah he, did, he wasn't he was like the great he was an awesome dude to wrestle the champ you know he was just never like the guy that you could ever see running with the company his promos were you know not the best and um, right he always looked like a, a million bucks you know he looked great um and you know i he started as a tag guy i think i think Cornette basically said you know he he was in that era of uh so there was always like five guys better than him but if he was in a slower era he probably would have been able to have been put in that situation but um but yeah he him and brett it was a pinnacle and you know as much as i like to bag on brett as far as like sean versus brett who do you take i always take sean because and most of my friends always take brett but um, Brett was the guy that made everyone look great, and and so did Sean. They both did. But Brett, yeah, Brett did. Brett, if Brett wanted to make Stone Cold or Bulldog, Mister Perfect, you can show that you know you can have a laundry list of times where you're like Brett made this person look like a million dollars, and his brother-in-law at the time, that's what he did at that time. And, and let's not forget the cage match with uh, Brett and Owen in '94. What a match! What a match! Their match oh, at yeah. WrestleMania, great. I mean. Brett, Brett's the man, dude. Brett is is the man. Is he a little bitter in his older age? Yes, but that's okay. We still love Brett Hart. Um, I was going to choose another one of your matches, which was obviously Brett Hart versus Mr. Perfect. I remember watching that as a kid. And the way he cranked that sharpshooter, I remember going, woo. I, I know wrestling. There's something to wrestling. I didn't know what was exactly going on, but I was like, that looked like it was painful. Uh-huh. Another actually phenomenal professional wrestler is Mr. Perfect. But my number one uh, SummerSlam match actually of all time is CM Punk versus Brock Lesnar. No disqualification. Wow. And I loved this era of CM Punk, especially uh, going against Brock Lesnar that I didn't have high expectations for that match. And I remember being completely blown away when i think lesnar is one of the best especially when he's motivated and likes working with the person and you can tell he clearly liked working with uh cm punk and i just 
I remember that match vividly. And I love, love, love that match. Um, but, and I, I'm also an unabashed CM Punk mark. So, but uh, yeah, that's my Mount Rushmore of SummerSlam matches. Uh, SummerSlam coming up this Saturday live on uh, premium uh, TV on Peacock, which I hate mm-hmm. the Peacock network. Terrible. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's available there. So anyways, Chris, next week we will probably talk about SummerSlam, see what we watched, what we didn't watch and a few other things. Uh, Chris, some more, you know what? I'll have some SummerSlam trivia for you next week, Gabe, to Ooh. finish off the show. Then we'll do, we'll go over SummerSlam and we'll have another interview. I have a few lined up here, so we'll see who, who will be next, but uh, it'll definitely be somebody in the central States area. And then we'll talk a little bit of news and notes like you're referring to. Who's next. That's Goldberg. I saw a clip on the internet recently of Bret Hart refusing to call Goldberg Goldberg. And he called him Bill Goldberg like four times in an interview. And then Mean Gene's like, I think he prefers to be called Goldberg. He goes, yeah, let him say it to my face, Bill Goldberg. And I was just like, man, that's pretty awesome. Bret Hart was a nasty son of a gun in the latter years of his career. All right, Chris. Well, we're going to get out of here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in this week and making it the best time to talk about the worst territory in the world. For Chris Goff, I'm Gabe Miller. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. It's the worst territory in the world.